Good everyone, welcome back to the Side Hit Podcast. I'm your host, Fat Tony, and today with us, you've asked for it, you've got it, Robert Hollis. Welcome, Robert. How are you, my friend? And it's it's slimmer Tony. It's not so much Fat Tony. <laughs> getting slimmer by the day. So let's let's give some credit where it's due. Oh, that, that's very flattering. Uh, <laughs> this, the scales I stood on yesterday said something different. Well, I know, I know the feeling through uh, two years of COVID, a few extra K- COVID kgs have come my way as well. So <laughs> we're in the same page. Oh, sweet. So it's nice to have you back in Wanaka. You just uh, we fly and visit. Flew in this morning fly out tomorrow but Damn. i just yeah came to see a friend of mine uh that i really needed to see in person and uh and the next place i had to come was here because <laughs> i've been stuck away in the states and through covid and bits and pieces and listening to what you've done so far has brought back so many memories of mine from t- 5 10 15 almost 20 years ago that i'm I've been taking notes of all these things, which I've forgotten I've done. And then, you know, everyone has their own crazy journey. So the fact that I can literally come here and be able to do this with you is, is awesome. And I think, you know, as I was saying before, I, you know, I've, I've, I've done stuff in the past and I'll do stuff in the future, but snowboarding gave me everything. Mm. I gave it everything and it gave me an amazing life, which I'm so blessed for. But um, as far as this interview goes, I will do this once and I will do this here and I will never be pretty much talking about it again because <laughs> I want to do it right and I want to do it for people that actually care and really love it. So you've, um, you know, we've came up through the through the world together a little bit on it. So um, so that's that's where my headspace is at is do it once, do it well and I'm doing this so my children and my children's children in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years listen back and go, oh, he did the snowboarding thing or whatever it may be. Um, mm. So uh, it's a bit of legacy as well. So I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, it's good to have you here. It's good to have you back in NZ for a little bit too. Mm. It's been a couple of minutes. It has. Cool. Well, we'll uh, kick into it then, uh, Robbie. Where are you from and how did you get into snowboarding? So my whanau is from Ngātipato, East Coast Gisborne and Waipiro Bay. So we've got a population of 26, which is pretty awesome. And then uh, grew up on a farm in Dargaville till I was four fiji till i was eight so i actually grew up in you know, fiji and sun and surf and suva till i was eight and then moved to aranui christchurch so um in christchurch we're based out of yeah aranui there um so that's that's quite a bit of jumping around was that due to like parents jobs or something yeah pretty much we're um there was a my dad had was working for like a trans- transportation business and like a habitat for humanity type company so we would uh work with local villages and stuff to help give uh, affordable housing clean water and stuff so i always i always had a really good perspective on uh life at an early age because we were considered rich because we lived in a concrete house and some people in my class lived in a tin house we were considered rich because we had leather sandals which would cost four dollars and some people had plastic sandals which would cost two dollars so perspective was always a big thing for me and then now with where my life's taken me being able to I've still got that perspective. Where, wherever I go with whatever I do, I still understand that. So, But yeah, it was definitely a bit of jumping around. And then moved back to uh, Christchurch. Grew up in Aranui, Christchurch. And so my sort of first holding company was Aranui Ventures, which was named after a place where I was from and super proud of because if you know Christchurch, Aranui was you know probably looked down upon by... It was a little bit of a rougher part of town. It's the hood it? shit, like let's yeah. be honest. You know, <laughs> east part of Christchurch. And that was my hood. And it's my home and I still, I still love it. Um, and... I got 
into snowboarding specifically when um, I'd always been, I guess, into into sport. I'd always been you know, into different bits and pieces. I ended up playing basketball for New Zealand, playing soccer for New Zealand, uh, hockey for Canterbury. Um, got, got into blading, bladed a whole bunch. Went to nationals, got third. Like I was full on in Blade, all of blading. We mean rollerblading. Hundred percent. Yeah. Apex sevens, make them go fast. <laughs> all that shit and funny enough one of my first sponsors Bladen with it was Solomon who I then transitioned from that which we can probably get into but um I was just doing everything I could I couldn't really afford it um to, to snowboard snowboarding was obviously expensive so I got to go um we could afford to drive up to and our two wheel drive to Porter up to Porter's Pass and we couldn't afford to go on the hill so we um there was a side little bank and I put like a little bodyboard thing and I got to like sort of ride down and stuff too so that my my first things of snow was it was love at first sight and things obviously escalated from there okay so how did it um how did it escalate like how did you get into actually standing on the snowboard and being up the mountain well i did i didn't even try skiing i just knew when i saw it that that's what i wanted to do i was fortunate enough um I had a rental board or, or something um, and got my first day. No lesson, no nothing. Boots overhanging the side of the toe edge. These low back things on the back of it. Um, ended up getting, uh, finding a this funky little like hooger booger or something, which was $50 at the Salvation Army, which was probably like a, it felt like a 160 and I was probably, you know, two foot tall high, whatever it was. I couldn't afford snowboard pants. So I would wear pajamas pajama leggings like sweatpants and then i went to the salvation army and i bought a 20 dollar yellow fireman's pvc synthetic pants to go yeah. over top of it and that was my that was my insulation so from day one it was just straight hood shit you know like there was no whatever and then i was fortunate enough i uh, got a job my first job was at cheapskates i was doing a paper run and stuff and then i got in at cheapskates and i was getting paid five dollars fifty an hour I would sweep the f- floors. I would do whatever it needed to get done. And I was hyped because it was, um, you know, I'd work five, six days a week doing the paper out mm-hmm. um, thing. But at that time too is we didn't have lots of money, but my um, my dad had a double, double brain hemorrhage and a stroke when I was 11. So I had an older sister, younger sister in the house, um, living in Naranui. Dad had a double brain hemorrhage and I was sort of man of the house. So when I... We couldn't afford things, so I had to sort of make things happen. So I was doing paper run five to six days a week. I'd do that, uh, yeah, five days a week, the whole month, and I'd earn $80. And then so if I wanted to get up the hill, the lift pass was like $35 for a kid and whatever. So it was it meant a lot when I could do it. Mm. The best part about cheapskates was I could steal their rental equipment. <laughs> mm. So I didn't need to pay for rentals. They had a partnership with Snowworks, which would do trips up so I could get free rides up. And then if you're a part-time staff, you get a season pass for, it was $99 if you're a part-time mm-hmm. uh, thing. So so in one move with Cheapskates, I got access. So who was running the Cheapskates shop back then? So Cheapskates then was uh, Dave Mollard was the manager, nice. Mark and Bill, obviously the owners. Yeah. Then, and funnily enough, in the airport coming back here, Last week, I saw Dave Mollard, and I hadn't seen him in 20 years. What's he up to these days? Uh, he's uh, He was working with um, local iwi up in the North Island, oh, helping yeah. some community engagement stuff. Um, so, but he was running that, and so that's when they started the Cheapskates rookie team. So Dean Hunt gave me a couple of issues of his old slide magazine. Yes, yeah, so yeah. he did that, and so that was early. So Cheapskates in the late 90s was the thing. Mm. Um, 
it was the hub. The pro skaters, Adam Alfred was a pro skater. He 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 was working there. Mikey Anderson, he was in the mix. Um, you know, that's the time of Greg Timms, who was like amazing mm. skateboarder and stuff as well. And so you were rollerblading I, amongst all these guys with his brother. So so Greg Timms's brother was Matt Timms, who was one of my good friends growing up. And so when I was at high school, it's exactly right. So I'd be going to soccer train on a Monday, whatever. And then I'd go to cheap skates. Then I'd go skate, whatever it was. Mm. Um, and then snowboarding came along that obviously took over, but you know, I would play basketball for New Zealand, soccer for New Zealand, all the rest of it transition. And then, um, when I was 15, um, life, life at home was tough, right? Like it wasn't, um, my father changed. He wasn't the same mm. thing. And, and it got pretty, you know, it got not the safest environment, been at home for a bit um and he actually ended up passing away when i was 15 so we we're in a we we're heading up to up north gone to a car crash i basically watched my dad die in front of me in 15 and after that moment i quit everything that's gnarly i that's, quit everything i was like you know that's what that's a gnarly thing you have to go through any time let alone when yep. you're 15 yeah so i was 15 we're on welfare on on or on the benefit i was failing high school not being able to not smart enough to get into university um, surrounded by like gangs and drugs and bullshit. Uh, my dad's just passed away, no father figure around. And then my careers advisor said, um, you could work in a warehouse packing boxes. And, and I said, look, I've got no beef if that's what you do for a living. I have a full issue when you're 15 years old, young male living in Aranui on the benefit, failing high school, n- not being able to get into university, not book smart, um, surrounded by gangs and drugs and bullshit, that's the, the limit they put on your life. And so I use that as fuel for what I was going to do next. So that single moment... Were you still at Cheapskates at this time? Yep, still at Cheapskates. And then, uh, so after that I decided, and where it really went into snowboarding was I decided I did not want to... When you're in a team sport, you can only do a certain amount and you're always reliant on others. Hmm. But it felt like I didn't want to be close to people. I wanted to go... And the best thing about snowboarding, I still remember, is you can get to the top of a chairlift, you can look down, you can go anywhere. It's full unlimited creativity. I could go as fast as I want with my eyes closed off a flipping rock. I can do it. I can go switch, try and jump over there. I can do this, this. So in my brain, it was unlimited creativity. But for me, it was actually escapism. Mm. Escape away from my problems and my bullshit. Escape away from this. And I also realized I was starting to get a little bit good. I said, if I get good at this thing, if I get good enough where I can snowboard or maybe get sponsored, if I get sponsored, maybe I could get overseas. If I can get overseas, I get out of Aranui. So my whole thing was all in on snowboarding at 16 years old. I wanted to become professional in two years. I want to travel the world. That's awesome. You had something to 100%. fuel yep. that. And then, you know, especially when you're sort of 15 and you've just gone through a trauma, yep. traumatic experience to have something. Because fuck, you can go a lot of ways at 15 at the best of times. Well, when I was 11 and he had the double brain hemorrhage, it was like a little bit of smoking, maybe a few beers or whatever around. When I was at 15 and I don't know, like now we're into different territory, you know, and, mm. and I still got all the love in the world for my boys. My boys from day one, still my boys today. Mm. Or even though I've gone to different bits and pieces, I still homies with my homies. And it's the same, same shit. You know, I just, mm. my head was basically all this bad stuff happened. I am doing the snowboard thing. I am all in. And so I just came into it with, there is no plan B. Mm. So when you got this um, career advisor talking about, this is what you're going to do working in a warehouse um, and you sort of like now nah, I'm going to the mountains were you still going to school at this time or was that sort of you being like nah fuck school I'm done let's do something else or? well 
great question because the truth is in my final year at high school when I was the head boy mm. um, I missed 60 days of the winter I didn't turn up I went snowboarding mm. and my whole goal was I am going as hard as I can to get as good as I can as fast as I can because I need to get out of Aranui that was my whole mindset I didn't give a shit what anyone thought I didn't give a shit and it was just locked in like mm. and I don't think I've almost ever been as fo- mission focused for one particular thing almost in the rest of my entire life because mm. I knew what it would it meant that I could go overseas and do bits and pieces and you know so um, Cheapskates was super supportive they they had a little thing called the Cheapskates rookie team. Was that the otherwise known as the Cheapskates Eight? Yeah, sort of the, mimicking the forum thing. Kind of. We had we ended up being almost twelve of them, but Clayton Mitchell was a local rider who I really looked up to at the time. He had this like chrome dome helmet, these Superman front flips at the big ears and stuff. He was incredible. Um, but in that crew was like jeremy Callagher and ben james and dutchy was in there as well so steph's east so me and steph go we used to work together in the the night shift at cheapskates both i think he was on six dollars an hour a bit more than me um and so he's we go back like over 20 years with us mm. so from day one being able to do it which was incredible were you working was spy dunbar working at cheapskates this time he was and more importantly did you ever have story time with uncle spy great yeah great question because i have yes (laughs) so i was 15 years old at cheapskates on a friday i came in one time and there was this enigma at the back waxing boards i'm like who is that and ruben yeoman was at the the time he was doing a bit of waxing tuning and stuff as well and spy had just got back from the netherlands or something and the first story he ever told me on the first day i ever met him was at the back of cheapskates and he was talking about how he was at this the red light district in Amsterdam watching a porno on a big screen TV and this dude came up in a trench coat next to him and asked if he'd like to hand job. <laughs> <laughs> and you gotta understand, I'm like 15, I'm like, what is going on? What the fuck? And that was my first ever <laughs> my first ever story. And man, I have so many more with so many people. Oh that I'm I don't know if we, we should we can dig into them but that, that what a great first impression <laughs> oh spy so I, I got to experience many smokos with spy with story time with uncle spy and they would start out you know smoke it was like 10 minutes or whatever 40 minutes later my boss was like we should get back to work but this story is too good keep going and <laughs> especially like uh, I mean they, they get told when Laura's not around now yeah but it, it was it was and it was a you know it was a crazy time so that was cheapskates and we had uh there was scott Lindsay, andrew cotter uh there was a guy called uh any van dazzled dazzled who now is one of new zealand's most amazing incredible fashion designers who's charging like 10 grand a, a suit Jeez. and it's it's insane it's immaculate uh but at the time, we were all just these snowboard bombs charging around, but it gave us that sense of camaraderie in this in this pack, which was which was huge. Was Jay Smith kicking around then too? Uh, yeah, he was in the skate game coming over from the west coast. Uh, there was there was a battle off between um, Cheapskates and Quest, mm-hmm. and there was Wide Load at the time oh, as well. Wide, wide Load was, was oh, awesome. You go up yeah. there in that spot, like hundred yeah. percent. I remember all of it. And the ironic thing about that is the way I felt of it was co-opetition where they had their little rookie team there's like yuki narita and stuff was on it who was at the time and a bunch of these sort of young bucks and we had this cheapskate sort of rookie team 
but everyone was your idol mm. social media didn't exist whatever you've got the magazines and they're coming into the store so i would see crew and you know listening to brent screen's podcast that's what i wanted to ask you about so yeah. when i heard that story so he he came in what well, he came in there was a magazine and he was doing a front 50 over a bridge mm. johnny mccormick shot it and yep. i didn't believe it was him because i'd never seen a pro in real life mm. and i i didn't believe him and at 14 or 15 i'm like bullshit show me your driver's license i straight up it was true and i forgot that it happened but it was that type of idolization i'm not sure it's the right word where these people were living legends walking through and you'd see someone walk in you're like holy shit that is quentin robbins holy Mm. shit that is neil zeppler that is ryan blewett that Mm. is you know whatever it was that's that's just shows how much power the magazines had back then mate it was huge that was the bible that that the New Zealand Snowboarder magazine comes out, that is the Bible. Mm. Manual magazine comes out, that is the Bible. So while we're on the subject of this, um, was there any local influences you're looking at for your own writing? Like some writers that really took your fancy? N- no, because I would be inspired from energy, not from individuals. Right. So I was all about, and even in business world and stuff today, right? Never idolize a human because humans are flawed mm. be inspired by sections of their greatness whether it be a mindset or a, a headspace around bravery or creativity you know you could say you know the way like will J would look at a line and the creative angle you would have never seen that mm. inspires you yeah browner the way he would look at size and go dude that's mellow i'll f- back double cork 10 that like that headspace so it was more probably a mental thing for me mm. mixed with creativity as well so that was at the time and then out of that 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 eight for the rookie team we had there was a little crew called the chosen three oh, right. and the chosen three when i was 56 16 the chosen three were uh ben james who was like the mini jp walker like he'd bands all that shit like do rag stuff jeremy keller who was like the jeremy jones kind of thing and then it was just me right just on my own shit and we had we'd have like matching hoodies and like matching bandanas and stuff and we made a little little video thing which is super funny but we would film and do everything so it was content creation from day one like mm. it was filming everything do we have the fish eye you know doing all these different little rainox adapters that were popping out you know there's a canon xm2 it ended up being with a 58 mil like diameter lens all these different bits and pieces we're going from 8 mil to mini dv now it's on the rest of it but yeah we made a bit do all that and we do these we do these night jibs we'd go to the ice rink we would get uh, a trailer full of ice snow we and then we'd go start hitting different jibs and bits and pieces so that whole world was was all in there mm. and so at this time was it still porters that was the main place you were heading to or were you sort of looking at more mountain hut it was all mountain hut but I would always remember I was addicted to um, the snow forecast website to see what was coming because I'd be at school and we'd always ring up the, the Porter Heights ski report. And uh, there was always Uli. He's like, the, the man goes, like, hello, this is Uli from the Porter Heights ski report. Challenging conditions today, a little bit gusty. And it's like, you mean 120k Norwesters on the top, mate. He was the most horrendous at lying about this, the, the reports that almost came humorous. Yeah. And then it was pretty awesome because in years later, when Zinni would start doing that at Snowpark, was was like reliving the carnage from from. Zinni's, I wish that I recorded Zinni's Snowpark 
um, weather reports. They were. I don't think yeah. you talked about the weather once I, when I listened to them. No, yeah. it was humour before humour. So the mm. early days, uh, Ross Lawrence and Dave Ross Lawrence, who's now uh, was doing the remarks, was sort of mountain manager. Dave at Wilson Hutt. at Mount Hutt. Right. Yep. So he goes back. He goes back a long ways. So was it a bit of a because Hutt and Methven had, especially in their early two thousands, had a pretty core group of riders. You know, Trev. Quentin Robbins, um, Ryan Blewett, and yep. Neil Ziegler. Yep. Um, did you come across those guys much? And what was it like? Like the first time you seen them say Quentin riding. Like, when I first saw Quentin ride, I'd never seen so some. They were from the Cat, right? Mm. I'd never seen someone so. Um, he looked skinny, but real powerful. Mm. You know, his legs must have been like secret quads underneath it because the way he would do stuff. And I still remember my first chairlift with Trevor Ponting. How was that? I snuck the line to go to the side so I could try and sit on the same chair as him. Right. And it's that thing yeah. where, you know, you're so young. and That's and that super grom shit. super grom shit, mm. you know. And it's so good because those, those memories, you remember trying to say, Hey, mate, how's the day going? <laughs> yeah, good, mate. Whatever, you know. And then... I followed him to try and keep up so I could tell my buddy that I snowboarded with him. <laughs> you know, you're not even doing it, but um, but me and, me and Dutchie, we actually, we were probably um, the closest on that, riding together. We traveled together, did the whole thing together. And we, we first started, because they do the NZSBA, we do the South Island, they do the regionals, so they do the Canopy regionals, right. yeah. South Island regionals, and then you get to go to the nationals, but you got to qualify. Me and Dutchie would jump in my little Mazda 323, hustle on down trying to get it remarks to do our thing we stayed in the old salvation army place that is now was a friend's house of ours down there and we'd go and i still remember our first event we went to and we would do everything we'd do border cross we'd do we'd do slalom we'd do big we, there was no bigger at the time it was slope style half pipe we'd do all at all but my, my first awesome memories with dutchy was we turned up at the south island championships and the I think, I think it must be, I don't know what the crew was called, but it was the crew that was coming out of Cadrona that had coaches. Mm. And they rolled up with a coach and their team and the whatever. And their coach would get their board, flip it over for the board across and start putting. And at the time was uh, uh, Joel Westcott. No, no, Joel, Joel Webb, mm. Andy Clark, and these weapons from Queenstown. And then there was this, this Wanaka crew. And that was the first time seeing them in the flesh. And there was the Jacob Coyers and the Anthony Leflars and, and all that. So Tom Wilmot, I think. Might have he was, co- yeah, actually, I Tom, think he was. Tom coaching. Crispin. Yep, yeah, Crispin Liscom, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so it was that kind of crew. And I remember their coach would flip their boards over and they were giving them this like pre-wax to get ahead in the first 10 metres. And me and Dutchie rolled up and I, he, I don't know if he'll remember this, but I definitely do. We said, you know what? Stuff these guys with their coaches in their flipping special wax and bullshit. We're going to smoke these Muppets, right? Like we were in the, we're in the same boat. He wanted to go pro. I want to go pro. He's my boy. I'm his boy. Let's flip and go. And they were doing a free, a free sausage sizzle at the time. We took the sausages, ate the sausages because we probably hadn't eaten whatever. We took the grease off the barbecue, turned our boards upside down. And in front of everyone, we started waxing our boards as if we were like pros with grease, looking at these cocksuckers like, stuff you guys. We're about to get you, bitch. And it was so awesome because in Dutchy, I think Dutchy beat me and we, Dutchy, I think I got second, Dutchy, Dutchy won. But it was that mindset of, we were so combative, we were so driven, we were so in. We came down, I'm from Aranui, can't afford anything. He's out there doing his thing. We're like, you know what? Stuff you guys. Stuff you guys. We're going to come and we're going to do this shit. And we did. We came in and look what Dutchy did. Some amazing, most epic 
crazy shit and i did my thing and it was just still that thing of the mindset Mm. we came in focused we came in with a bit of humor but we were also we were talented but we gave it everything and it was our whole thing but sausage grease sausage grease (laughs) but bought across racing at the south island champs in 1990 it must have been 99 or 2000 right that's (laughs) awesome i mean dutchy's still ripping now eh? like D- so D- he comes by like, oh I've just been cruising oh you yeah, what have you been doing oh just warming up on the big air jump it's like fucking what <laughs> Dutchie yeah. was no shit one of the most incredible gifted crazy gnarly bastards New Zealand snowboarding's ever seen mm. without even trying like switch back 9 switch back 12 the whole, the whole thing he had, he had the whole thing and we, we were um, you know fortunate enough to, to come in the, the mix so. so I feel like he was one of the first Kiwi riders to really sort of embrace the whole double, double cork rotational thing. Uh, well, then he got to you know we yeah. get to two thousand nine ten and then double corks became the thing, right? And yeah. then we can get into that too. But yeah, it was amazing times, good, mm. and then finish that and then so get into the world. Take it back to the Canterbury scene a little bit because um, higher grounds, like Christchurch at the time, seemed to be the base for a lot of the industry. You had higher ground and the Solomon guys were all kicking around there and stuff and. Um, were you uh, just working at cheapskates were you tied in with like those crews or anything like that uh i was i hadn't earned my stripes yet but i would lose my shit when i saw guy alti walk in the door yeah six foot three hundred kgs of rig and industry power rolling and i'm like that dude and the gangster thing at cheapskates was if you knew the bosses you walked past everything you could go in the back yeah. So if you were in, like you could go in the back, and I, and I remember he just walked straight through. I'm like, dude, he's going straight to the back. That's the coolest thing ever, you know. Like <laughs> it's just these small things, but you know the the idols that you have, the, the people you look up to, is this, this greatness. You, you need that. And for me, you know, that was that at the time. And they were obviously based in Christchurch. Solomon was there. Scotty Maisie at the time was the young buck on the come up. He was there running, uh, helping with the Solomon thing. I transitioned to, to, to um, Solomon. That was my my first um, proper sponsor was Solomon Snowboards in 2003. And um, was that a byproduct of you rollerblading for Solomon that they sort of knew you already, or was well, that they were on its own accord? Kind of a bit of a crossover. Dutchy, I think, had got onto them first, and we were kind of jumping at the same time. They had, yeah, that you could get like wholesale and cheap stuff from, um, but that wasn't until 18, it was after I'd actually finished there. Um, but I had, you know, sort of knew the crew and stuff, but their, their boots, and I still say it today. Solomon snowboard boots when they did the F series were the most comfortable amazing boots of all time because they ran one size smaller and I ended up having like size 12 feet which means I could ride a shorter side cut board so I could do more jib boards Hmm. best Um, they would shit out faster but for that for a short amount of time it was amazing same thing with the burden bindings could not beat them still to this day the best bindings ever Hmm. you know boards would get a bit different but um but yeah, those were, those were sort of two. So I was lucky enough to get, get into that and had some good times at Mount Hart and all the rest of it. So those are kind of the, the early formative days in there. Yeah. Yeah. And about this time, we can sort of go back to the Solomon thing if we need to, but I want to um, talk to you about, so you did the Polytech uh, instructor course in 2003 at Cadrona. I did. So I failed high school, couldn't get into university. It was November and my mum said, I've got six weeks to get out of the house. <laughs> basically Jesus. and uh i was fortunate enough that ruben yeoman who at the time was doing um a bunch of stuff with snowboarders for christ he got me an invite and a spot to go with him to japan at the end of i finished school so i finished high school in november 
and I got to go to Japan with him before Polywalk. So I, I applied for Otago Polytech in, uh, through that year because I knew if I get my snowboard instructor, if I don't become a pro snowboarder, but if I become an instructor, if I get my certificate, my NZSIA stage one, I can get a J1 visa, go through CCSA, I still get to the States, I still get out of the Nui. So I kind of ran this parallel track of, I do instructing and I'm still le- getting, leaving Aranui. I go pro, flipping sweet, whatever, right? So I kind of hedged my bet strategically that way. But uh, he gave me the opportunity to go to Japan. I ended up being able to go to Japan. So I finished in school in 2002 in Christchurch. Within six weeks, I was on a plane to Japan, so, did the season in Japan, then did a play So once. what was your first impression of Japan coming from Aranui? The, one of the most culturally one of the most amazingly respectful technologically advanced but simultaneously old school legacy care places of they bridged a world which i'd never seen before mm. and i love the humility of their people with the true depth of understanding their environments their people and each other mm. um now as far as the snowboarding Holy shit, that was awesome. <laughs> where about, yeah, whereabouts in Japan? Uh, we're in a small little place called Norikura Kogan, which was close to Matsumoto in Nagano. So, And I, during my high school on the come up, I was studying Japanese specifically. So I knew that if one day, if I ever got to be pro or I ever got to travel, I might go to Japan and I might have to speak it. And at the time, there was a big influx that were coming to Methven of, of Japanese writers. Mm. And so I'd try and get on the chairlift with um you know the yuki naritas or the um other crew that uh, or, or, or the mars that were there in the mix and i would try and learn japanese they were oh thank you or whatever it is and kumori desu or christ uh, chachi ni sunday mas just little like pockets and i was trying to uh i was like jusansai like i'm 13 whatever it was i learned these little things so i'd get on these chairlifts they try and learn English. I try and learn Japanese, and did that for a couple of years. So to finally be able to go over was incredible. So basically, I got to go live, start to live a season of my full time in there, and it was incredible. And so you're the first, the first Japanese powder turn that you made. Yep. Your impression of that. I got off the top of the chair and I went left into the trees, and it was almost about nighttime, and it was your first powder turns red. Your first powder turn when you realize you're halfway around the world in trees in Japan like a dream is a flipping dream. Mm. And it's funny, some of the best moments and memories I've ever had have been moments of pockets of powder turns. Or mm. one specifically was I saw this this new board I got, I think it was like a flying V bird and something, whatever, was the first turn I do on this board is going to be a face shot. Mm. <laughs> and so I waited for a heli day. We went up and we were filming. We ended up filming for some other stuff. And I strapped in, never ridden it before, pinned it, went straight down 150 meters and flipping just bang, just a mad like hillside splash of pop-up face turn. Like just these moments, right? And Japan sort of gives you that stuff. But that was my, my first year there. I had I had $500 savings were to last you, me three months. Oh, so were you riding every day or were you working? Every day. I was riding and working, yeah. So it was a, a, a sort of snowboard camps that were also sort of teach some English stuff. I was helping with that and helping with the instruction. So once again, Ruben Yeoman, Ruben Yeoman gave me my first gap to leave New Zealand and gave me my first start to travel. He had my back. I will always have his back. If he ever asked me for a loaf of bread and half around the world, I'm going to flip and get him a loaf of bread because mm. he, he got me out of where I was from. What an awesome first place to go to for snowboarding as well. Like, Amazing, I know. Yeah. Um, but sorry to answer the question on the Pollywogs thing is I had, um, 
before so, I flew, I knew I was going to be coming back to go polywalk. So mm. I basically had my whole season, came back, saw mum. I turned I turned 18 on May 11th, and my course started that Friday on May 14th. Sweet. So three days later, I'm in Wanaka. And it turns out that the Polytech class of 2003 was quite a heavily stacked class of riders that we now now know. Stacked. Stacked's probably an understatement. Stacked. And what's crazy is 20 years later, you talk to any crew that were up at Cadrona around that time, and the 2003 Otago Polytech crew, which or the, the, the OG since 03, the Polywogs were a force, an mm. absolute force. You're talking about almost 90 people across Avalanche, Ski and Snowboard. Mm. Our crew, we had Dutchie, Jody Blatchley, Slocum, Bevan Hall, Danny Worley, F- Ferret. Ferret. Um, Gus. Gus, yeah, Gusto, Gus, Gus Hayden. Yeah. Um, the whole stack. And so you need to think about it as well. You're 18 years old. You begin to live your dream. You snowboard every single day, mm. and you're in two two busloads of just creatures who are just committed to the exact so same thing. Those names you mentioned, you look at where they've gone now, like stacked. Slocum runs the Cadrona Terrain Park. Matt Slocum, um, Dutchie. Well, we've talked about her. I, I live with Dutchie that year. We lived together our first really? year. Yeah. So I remember you guys all coming through the workshop. So I was in the yep. workshop then, and um, Gus had broken his arm. And then he was the ACC yeah, guy. I made him sign it. No <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he came in with uh, he had the sideburns with the black. Yeah, yeah. He he came in one day with his uh, arm in the cast, and we're like, "Is that you?" He's like, "Yeah." It's like, "Oh no, he didn't have his arm in the cast. No, he was fine." But someone was like, "That's him," because it was the season before or some shit. I'm like, well, you got to sign this, mate. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and I think he wrote Polytech 03 in there. Poly- he didn't sign OG Center 03. So the whole game plan with that is. Get your certificate, get your J1. Get your mm. J1, get to the States. It was just very clear. But that that year was was chaos, right? So I didn't have, obviously didn't have money. Um, mm. But Julian Field, who owned, uh, ended up owning Southern Lakes Halley, owned Subway. Mm. And one of my first jobs, my job in 2018, I was a sandwich artist. And I would work on the Friday or Saturday night after I was shredding. And basically, my lunch break would be between 11.30 p.m. and midnight. So the boys would come in pre-drinking, hook the crew up. In my lunch break, in my subway uniform, I'd go next door, flip and just get on it with the boys <laughs> in a subway uniform and then go back. to. I think they they obviously stopped it there for, for multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. but um, And then there'd be karaoke nights, all sorts of bits and pieces. But the whole, the whole game plan was get your instructors, get overseas. And we had instructors at the time. Um, Steel, or Greg Steele and Maddie Phillips, um, oh, who, Maddie, yeah. dude, it was incredible. And learning, you know, the difference between centrifugal and centripetal forces, you know, mm. hydrophilic and hydrophilic waxes, understanding body mechanics, breakdown, you know, like I play chess and all sorts of bits and pieces, and understanding body movement, understanding inclination, anglination, all mm. these things which were, it's like the science behind snowboarding mm. was incredible. And, uh, you know, it was amazing, you know, Jody Blatcher was there and stuff, the whole crew. And I want to, yeah. that's a couple of names. So you mentioned some names I think would be cool to talk about a bit more. Sure. Me. Let's talk about Jody because what a gnarly motherfucker. He's in where, like, so yep. he, he went on to become this phenomenal coach for like Possum, Steffi and Shelley. He was a pro before he did and, his instructor's course. Yeah. Jody Blatchley came to New Zealand after already being pro. Right. He walked in already having video parts and adverts of him he and we're like who's this flipping guy 
Yeah. And he's just so stealth, melody chilling. Like I was one of the best best men's at his wedding. Mm. He's absolutely one of the greatest hearted humans ever. And after we finished Polywogs, we can get into that. We we all moved to Tahoe and had thirteen of us in one house and the carnage continued. <laughs> but but for that year, um it was it was cool. And I, I owe a lot to um to Stello and, and Matt and that's where we're up there and so Kyle was run, run around there doing the mm. instructing thing and um, Blair, Blair, Big Blair Davidson was charging around and all these guys were like mm. champs um, and I really as much crazy shit as I do I always really like to listen and I like to learn Yeah. and I I got to learn the mechanics of the sport I got to understand the human body with video analysis and movement analysis I got to understand you know all these different things mm. which you know People so don't get. I would never have guessed in a million years that ferret was part of that because I've always just viewed him group. as a raw dog rail guy. <laughs> no, he, you know, but yeah, that's he, unreal. And yep. Bevan Hall as well. Like, yep, all that crap. And then everyone came up through the mix. Yeah. And then that year, where my thing sort of transitioned a bit, it was you know I'd shoot around and done some stuff. I'd competed. I'd done some bits and pieces. Polywoggy oh three. Then there's the meth and bigger. Meth and bigger was my first pop right because. Um, I somehow snaked in to the events list and I think I need to give props to Karen Heald at the time. We basically sweet talked the way into there. But we got to I did the Meth and Big Air and I won. Well said outside the blue pub. Yeah, it's like ten thousand people, eighteen years Great. old, front seven to the bottom, flipping my knees went past my flipping shoulders, almost blew out my face on it. <laughs> you know, everyone was just in the zone and, and that was my first pop and it was kinda of weird, like it came came up to do the event um ended up having like red bull and stuff it was sort of out at the time ended up like sinking like nine red bulls that night my heart's it's, probably going like four four thousand miles an hour red bull seemed to be really heavily involved in snowboarding back then a lot like they yep. put on huge rail jams and shit they were massive 100 percent. um but that was kind of my first thing of of that as a pop came back and it was weird we went up on a thursday competed on the friday won and it so this is interesting Sammy Marcot at the time, I still remember this. Sammy Marcot was, you know, local dogger charging it. Is about to be prize giving. I knew I'd won. He knew I'd won. And he walked up to me, pulled me aside, and he said, Robert, your life's about to change. I'm like, ah, whatever, bro, dude, it's all G. Like, I'm just saying, being me. And he goes, people are going to want to get close to you for what you do, not who you are. Wow. And I was like, wow, that's some... I'm like some deep shit. And this is like yeah. Friday night, 10,000 people, Saturday night, 10,000 people. The whole thing's blowing up. It's like on oh, August 14th, whatever it was, 18 years old, win the myth and bigger. And I didn't get it. And as he's saying it, someone across his left shoulder starts walking up. That had always been too cool for ski. Me that never given me the time of day. He walks straight up to me to try and bro down. As he says it to me, I see in his shoulder, he walks straight to me and it's sunk in like nothing ever before mm. and I still remember that I was like people are going to want to get close to you for what you do not who you are wow that was powerful I found shit it was, and, and yeah. I've kept it I kept it today and so now part of the reason when I you know we get into the business stuff whatever I don't tell anyone what I'm doing mm. I pretty much don't tell anyone where I'm going I don't tell people who I'm with or nothing because I I want to have my relationships with me like I remember meeting you when I was a grom I remember having my friendships with all these people they mean stuff to me not I mean you know other stuff comes and goes stuff like whatever but mm. I, I want my relationships to be with people for my relationships with them mm. not what they can get from me not what their position is 
And so that was one of my first biggest things was basically, you know, did the polywogs, win meth and big air, we got our instructor's certificate, I'm off to the States. Cool. Before we move on from the Polytech course, uh, Matt Slocum has asked me, well, told me that I have to ask you about a mechanical bull ride in Hawaii. <laughs> Can we talk about this, please? <laughs> Dude. Oh, your past comes to haunt you. So, in Hawaii in 2003, the polywogs all roll out, and there was a mechanical bull that was at the pub. And dudes were just getting on and just getting bucked and smoked, right? And we were all just on it, sending it. And I like, I'm mellow, but if if I party, like my drinking alter ego, Rungy comes out. Like a few people have seen Rungy. Rungy goes hard. So anyway, Rungy comes out at 18. And long story short, I flip and get on this 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 bull. Thinking into details. Long story short, I, I win the mechanical bull riding contest. And it's on film, and I've actually got the footage of it still, of the thing. And it's, uh, but I appreciate that coming up. But there was plenty of other things that went with it. But yes, uh, I won a mechanical bull riding competition. Absolutely off my face with the polywogs, and the crew were hyped. <laughs> and um, that would have shown up all the um, country boys that were living around there at the time. Well, the Hawaii you know? crew. Let's just say the Hawaii mafia was not so uh, happy with a foreign little moldy kid jumping up and winning their little bull riding competition but once again they, and and funny enough the house we stayed at was a connection through eddie spearing oh wow and yeah, his yeah. Uh, wife vicky at the time they had a little motel there we got connected up with that and that was the first time i'd um then got introduced to the, the also the legend that is uh eddie spearing as well so he helped us get it first thing live with him and then uh then we got into it was this when he was importing snowboards or something before or that, uh, before, before that, before he did, then did shift four with um, Harley and stuff when they actually got a West Beach, and that was then also one of my next sponsors because I was on Adidas, Solomon, West Beach. West Beach. And that's, right. where, that's where we get to, I guess, for the next part of the story. Sweet. Is that Tahoe? Tahoe. Tahoe. Well, let's bring, let's bring Tahoe into it then, yep. since we sort of alluded to it previously anyway. Uh, what's uh, what happened in Tahoe? You passed your course, get a job. Where Tahoe you go? Or? Yep. So all of us in the course, we go to this mini um, expo thing, and basically the resorts will come and say, "Hey, come to." It's like work IEP or something. We'll say, "Come to Aspen, it's awesome. Come to Whistler, it's awesome. Come to Tahoe, it's awesome." This, this, this. One of the cheapskates uh, rookie team was a guy called Andrew Cotter, and his dad had a house in Tahoe. He'd been there. And there was like all of our crew that wanted to go overseas somewhere. We didn't know exactly where we were going to go. And everyone's trying to think about what to do. And I remember ringing him and I was like, bro, do I go, do we go to Colorado or Tahoe or what? So what do we do? He, and he literally just goes, Rebet, Tahoe, 30 feet of snow, 300 days of sunshine. And it's got a casino. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and we're done. So I was like, crew, we're going to flip in Tahoe. Let's go. And so first experience we get straight off the plane in, in LAX we so get who's we so in our house at the time we ended up having 13 of us there was Scotty Allison uh, one of the OGs who was a skier at the time but we felt at heart he's actually a snowboarder uh, Jody Batchley Bevan Hall we had uh, just a bunch of this ragtag bunch basically right. 13 of us from the polywogs all go over Debs Palmer was in there Will Marshall was in there Levi Ratapu was in there um Simon Lorenz was in there we had a whole whole stack of polys and um get get off the plane in LA never been to the states before I'm like oh my gosh LA we get hustled at the airport 
we go to we go to the um, hotel room. Get hustled. We got hustled at the airport. Some guys do, trying to get donate some money to some kids' charity or oh, something. I got fucking hustled by that dude. That's flipping jet, muppet, lag, man. mate. They, well, I also was eighteen years old. Didn't have much money, but I was like, hey, I'll help the children. There you go. Um, go into mm. our first, first hotel, first night. Turn on the TV. Go up to the elevator. The student's velour tracksuit comes up, and I remember he looks around at me as he gets out. He's like, "Stay up, dog." And I'm funny, I've always remembered this thing. I was like, what is happening? Stay up, dog. Stay up, dog. We go into the hotel. We turn the TV on and there's a life, life uh, car chase going on on the news. I'm like, it's a movie. Like, this is just a movie. And then we get a knock on the door, open it up. And there's two, like, kind of stripper hooker looking chicks are there wanting to use our hairdryer. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Come on in. So now we've got these two hooker strippers in our... But this is like 18 year old, straight off the plane, jet lagged the whole thing. And they were doing it for some shoot. I'm like, oh, this is kind of weird. Like, what was going on? Anyway, they come out. We follow them along. They go into their, their room. We open the door where they're going to. And there's these three black dudes with a tripod lights and stands. And the two girls go into the room. And we're like, what is going on here? It was Holy night number one. We, Holy the, shit. So then we figured out what was happening. Like, this is, you can't make this shit up. It's so funny to talk about it. Then we get into Reno just before um, Thanksgiving. Uh, we come catch a bus in the snowstorm right up to the borderline. We get out of the 13 of us, or nine of us that night. We get out of a, um, we get out of a, the bus. We're at the state line. Nowhere to stay. No one's got any accommodation. We don't have jobs yet. The whole thing's stuffed, right? We cross it into this little motel in a one bedroom and nine of us slept. Oh, there was two one bedrooms and then nine or 10 of us, uh, slept in this, this, this one bedroom little hotel and, uh, motel when we started off and we, we didn't know what we we're doing funny story about the first night because <laughs> all these things it's so amazing to talk about it that years later like when I was, i'm not going to say who out of the group but at the time there was a thing called excess tv and uh, brooke howard smith was running it for new zealand and and i was starting to create content and whatever and we were going to do like this little mini um update thing for this for um new zealand one of the crew uh wanted to do three glassfuls of wine and then do the intro to the show. But he kept messing it up, so he kept doing more gla- things of oh, wine. No. <laughs> Long story short, let's let's um, let's just call him old mate. So old mate's just maggot, and then passes out. And then we go, uh, oh, you know what would be super funny? Let's make him think he hooked up with one of the chicks that also rolled up with us. So it's this other lady we'll call her. Uh, cool, cool chick. So old mate's passed out. Cool chick's in there, and she's in the next door, next over. And we basically decided the funniest way for us to figure out how I don't even I'm gonna say stuff I have to say it. it's so too good the best way we could trick him into thinking that he hooked up with her is for there to be a used condom with his pants down next to him when he wakes up so he's passed out full of spew in the in the bathroom we then figure out there's uh there's the eight of us left and we rock paper scissors to see who's going to lose to whack off into a condom. Oh my God. This is how stuck this is. To whack off into a condom to then put next to him. So then when he wakes up, he thinks he's had sex with, he thinks he hooked up this chick, right? And so (laughs) this gets even better. So then we're in a circle, we're rock, paper, scissoring. The loser gets, uh, gets announced. It wasn't me, fortunately. Um, But then the problem is, We've got two rooms, one of the bathrooms, one of our own bathrooms, old mates passed out full of spew and stuff, right? Seven of us are there, and then there's the one chick who he actually liked, 
she's passed out next door in the other room like by herself she's already gone to sleep so there's nowhere else to go except in the bathroom next to the girl that's sleeping oh, so, no. then, so then awkwardly oh the loser's got to go next door into it swipe up she's passed out goes into the bathroom comes back like i know like six minutes later with a used condom puts it next to him we take photos he wakes up and we're like oh my gosh you're the man bro you hooked up with it so mean by he's like what what i did what next day he wakes up he's like oh yeah bro no, i can feel it. i definitely did because he actually kind of liked her as well right so it's whatever we told her the whole joke she thought it was the funniest thing ever she wakes up and, the, and then the next day so anyway long story short that was the first night of the first day i ever got in america and then we all moved into the house and then it was carnage and chaos ever since fucking hell but that was like how stuffed of a story is that to start your experience with and then we mm. basically had this kiwi house is at 38 38 brian lane in south lake tahoe we had uh three bedrooms 13 of us we we turned one of the bathrooms into a room which where jody blatchley ended up staying for a bit four in each bedroom girls down the bottom the whole thing people on the couch it was stuffed and and our kiwi crew that would roll was so stacked that we, we thought it was normal, but wherever we went, it was not only a party, but it was just a vibe because everyone's on the same page. And we, we mm. brought that polywog energy straight to the States. And that was uh, that was the start of it in, in Tahoe. Holy shit. Yep. So was ta- were you in the part of Tahoe where one side's Nevada, the other side's California? South Lake Tahoe, exactly right. Yep. So how was, how was that being 18, first time in the States where you got all these laws and rules where in one state you can do this, other state you can't do this and so on and so forth that's why i love this podcast because you ask the good questions tony it's a great <laughs> question so we're in south lake uh basically it was all underage drinking and people partying and stuff we had a kiwi house and in the kiwi house became a thing we got the neighbor george uh, at the time who would do he had the contracts to do all the snow he would made us a little half pipe at the front of our house we do the big parties at our house the police created a task force that winter that sole job was to try and stop house parties, which basically had started because then we... Because of you guys. Because our crew at the Kiwi house. It got so bad that there was a night... We've got photos of uh, cops turned up trying to pull out one of our bros, Levi, outside. And then at the same time, upstairs, a whole bunch of coke and blow and all sorts of shit's going on. Everyone's like, oh, it's obviously clean, but everyone's going hard. And I'm like, dude, you do you, man. Do your thing. And it was just ruckus. And they had a tug of war between our crew with like Will Marsh and stuff, pulling Levi in. The cops pulling them out, and we had a tug of war with a, a Maori and flopping South Lake in the middle of the night trying to like do this shit, and it was just the most oh, gangster shit, shit, dude. And he gets, and then he gets, he gets arrested. He's such a stubborn bastard, won't get bail out, and then, uh, and then that was that was. So that's the energy of the vibe that we had. And the greatest thing is, it was all positive. We all had each other's back, and everyone went hard together. Shit, that's so funny. Because, I mean, cops over there, you know, it's a bit different. Guns and all sorts of shit. Yeah, it was It was more... It wasn't so angry to, violence. Were they trying to bust you for, like, underage drinking or... They wanted him out because they knew he lived there and then he knew he, they could say that it was his party. Right. Yeah. And so did you sort of feel like that season then, like, there was a sort of a target on your back? Like, oh, that's the Kiwi, let's, let's go bust them... The, sort of thing, there like kind of was, or? but no, it was, it was well intent. It was fun. Hmm. It was all part of the part of the gig, and um, you know, we went then for when we were in there their first year. Uh, we all got jobs up at Heavenly. We all then went for our PSA level three, um, which what, was like the what's PSA? It's a, it's basically the version of New Zealand instructors, but for America hmm. and the West Coast to get our full cert certificates, and so uh, 
we ended up doing that a bunch of us in the crew uh, i ended up getting i was the youngest ever to get the level three and i was did it with the highest ever writing marks given out so that was and funnily enough after i got my the certificate i've never instructed a day since it was just a goal came in did it next and were you going back to tahoe for a few winters I've been back and forth for about 20 years. Like part of my soul lives there. We've, we, our family's got a place in South Lake Tahoe still. And so, you know, my, my wife and girls, they were up there uh, this last weekend. And oh, cool. we still go up. So I feel like at that time, the early 2000s, like there was a strong New Zealand contingent in um, California. Like it seemed like all the, um, not only the Polytech instructors, but like I'm from Dunedin, where it's, you know, obviously university town. Yep. All the people I knew at university were going to Tahoe for their um, summer holidays and shit. Yep. And you sort of throw all that into the mix as well, and it's a very vibrant sort of atmosphere, I guess. Yeah. I and mean, the, it's all the crew, right? You get yeah. a good crew around you. It's all Al- fun. You're young and you're like crazy. Elamino P wrote a song about it too, didn't Fast they? Times in Tahoe. Fast Times in Tahoe, yeah. yeah. Yep, I know it well. So <laughs> that came out, and everyone would just sing it. Like, we'd go to parties and sing it, and then we'd be doing... The keg stands and the boys would start getting wasted and end up, you know, every Waitangi day doing a haka somewhere half naked. <laughs> One, There was a lot of drugs done at the house. Mm. One of our friends, who I will, shall remain nameless, I once came down for breakfast at seven in the morning and he was having a three-way conversation with two couches. Oh my God. <laughs> Didn't even see me. And then he thought that the moon was a big thing of cheese and in the middle of a snowstorm decided he'd try and write, climb up a double black diamond uh, mogul run to eat the cheese at the top of the mountain my god <laughs> like that, that's the looseness that was happening at yeah. the time well, I, I did a couple in Colorado we had the same sort of university crew coming through yep. and you've definitely seen sort of um, a few victims that just got eaten alive that yeah. just couldn't really well, this, handle it. So yeah. these funny these stories are funny, right? Great. Mm. I caught up with one of these crew a couple years ago, mm. and he had done so much drugs. Then he's not the same guy. Mm. The humor's gone, the vibes gone, the energy's different, the frequencies aren't there, and I believe it was because he did so much bad shit mm. <laughs> for a space of a couple of years it flipped and got to his head and it stuffed him. And it's yeah. really sad because watching someone that, you know, on a serious note, watching people that were so lively and like vibrant mm. change who they are, which, which angles them into a different part of life. That's something that I, I pray feel pretty Definitely strong. Definitely seen a few of those even yep. around these parts, working in the mountains here. It happens. But and um, uh, yeah. you can almost pick them after a while. And you it, can. It's a sad thing you have to pick like, oh, you're going to be, you're going to be the casualty. The, the energy yeah. if they don't have the willpower for it is um yeah. and i was and in, in full transparency and you know i appreciate kind of get into it is i was so focused on my mission mm. still to this day 2022 20 whatever years later i've never had a single cigarette i've never done a single line of anything i've never popped a pill of anything i've never done any weed of anything and even probably more kind of weird for a lot of people and you can get it or not whatever was I was a virgin until I met my wife. I was that focused. Mm. Like people don't understand was my headspace. Was this a religious thing or just your own personal thing? Both. Both. I was like, you know what? No, no. Because no, for me, it was, it was focus. Yeah. It was actually more focus. Mm. Like I was so... People, you know, I've gone on to do other bits and pieces, but 
the laser-like focus I had for what I wanted, nothing was getting in the way. Mm. Absolutely nothing. Because I knew my truth was failed high school, couldn't get, you gotta, or you gotta remember that mindset. Failed high school, couldn't get into university, got absolutely no qualifications whatsoever. You're not book smart. There's nothing else around you, but you have this talent. And this talent can, if you do it right, get you out of where you're from. So my, my strategy was super simple. It was this. Get out out of Nui, go pro, use my money to start companies, use my money to use my businesses to give me freedom. Hmm. And I want to do it by the time I was 30. You know, so, but yeah. as far, as much as we, you know, fun and all this, it's great to reminisce and blah, blah, mm. blah. It's like, simultaneously, I was having as much fun in the world, but I was locked to what mm. we we're going to do, you know? And so the sponsor yeah. at the time sort of saw it. And so the, at the time it was, you know, Adidas and um, Federation and West Beach and Cheapskates oh and whatever. God, Federation. Yeah. forgot about those. When days. they first yeah. started out, that was the Ruben Yeoman contact. I was there for for, for years. Clegg. Yep, Nick Clegg. Yep. So Nick Clegg was my boy that that came up through the vine there, um, and then Carl Doherty, who was ex Warriors, then ran Euro Optics, which was Adidas. Before Adidas was even cool or anything, like he had my back, I had his, and mm. to this day, I still have his back. Like mm. so, my OGs, Scotty Maisies of the world, I have that fucking dude's back. Mm. You know, the Gaultis, I have his back. Mm. These guys, you know, I think it's really important. A lot of people get transactional with these relationships. But mine was always very organic, very deep. And same with West Beach. Like Eddie Spearing and Harley Anderson brought me into the West Beach thing. So End up going... Sort of friendship yeah. first, business second with those people. For 100%. It was yeah. person first. I like mm. the person. I mess with the person. And even today, like, you know, I do lots of different things. But if one of my best mates goes to the biggest competitor, I'm going with them. My mm. loyalty to people. Like, for example, like today, I flew here f- to see a friend. Mm. On my one day off, out of all this other crazy shit, it's like, no, I need to see this person. I'm going to fucking be here. Mm. You know, this is fun, but I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. Yeah. Because I love that. You know, it's, yeah. it's that type of thing. But yeah. um, and, that, and that's the things that sort of, there's a lot of integrity behind that. And that's those, it's, you know, I'm trying, I can't really frame that any better yeah, word-wise, but it's, it, For me, and why I have so much um, emotion to certain things is because the I've seen what a life of transactions looks like mm. and it's quite superficial and shallow mm. and I've had amazingly deep great friendships with good humans money comes and goes deals come and go all this I don't care who does what wherever my boys are still my boys mm. you know my loyalty for Ruben Yeoman taking me to Japan in 2003 I still owe him yeah Gaelti for giving me a shot when I first started nzsnobble.com to get into business stuff I still owe because they they seen yeah. something that yep because I'd imagine, say, we'll, we'll segue back to Tahoe in a minute, yeah, but yeah. I'm going to assume that when you started NewZealandSnowboard.com, there would be more people being like, ha, 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 whatever, than like, fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then the people like, say, Glialti, that were like, yeah, let's back them, means so much more when you had like, say, I don't know, like eight other people being like, yeah, whatever, dude. Like, Yeah, we can easily get you know. into that, but my, my loyalties run deceptively deep with those who gave me spots and that's part of my life now is I take I take it very seriously to be able to try and give opportunities to as many people as I can as possible because that little breadcrumb could be the Ruben Yomi getting me to the States it could be the, the, the Harley Anderson getting me to stay at the West Beach condo and thing it could be what's small for them could transform someone else's life and I think mm. people underestimate that the breadcrumbs of good which you can do Mm. can be disproportionately insane for someone else's future and too many people and i call it like long game right it's mm. chestnut checkers 
mm. and not many people there but you know to, to to loop it back into it was basically you know I did the polys I won the meth and big air we come to the states and then I go and then I go mm. off and um so we'll bring it back around the Tahoe no you, you just had me thinking about the people that gave me a yep you know um, and what I do and shit and say, like, oh shit you know it's you know, but, no, but you need I've, to give I've them never, their roses. I've, I've never forgotten yep. either, you know. And yeah, you got to give them their roses. Mm. And so part big part, part of the thing I'm doing is like I tell people I love them. Mm. Like everyone's like I love you, thank you. You know, mm. people do it, and it comes at a cost, mm. especially in business. Like certain things will cost some bits and pieces, but you know, for a sport that gave me so much, the I guess I'm also in a different phase of life, right? I'm 37 mm. now. I've done some shit, right? I've lived some things, I've seen some things and whatever. And the the depth of these that means more to me, you know, like I've had a last pretty crazy last, you know, eight, nine days doing stuff in Auckland for after two years being away. I'm physically tapped. Mm. But I come over that flipping crown range this morning. I get off the plane this morning and I feel this I smell the fresh air and it brings back every single amazing moment. I come over the crown range and I look over it and I start to get energized. Mm. You know? And, and it's just a weird thing of, you know, the, the small things matter. And a lot mm. of people, they, they really, they dismiss what got them there. Mm. And they dismiss the things that actually matter because they're busy place, chasing the fluff. Yeah. Stuff the fluff. Yeah. You know, sprinkles are fine, but, you know, the cake's what made it to start with. So anyway. Yeah. yeah. But, um, <clears throat> so, you know, and that was basically a transition. I went there and then, um, and then I got into, I guess, then I officially turned pro. Mm. So can I bring it back around to Tahoe for a minute? Sure. Um, were you, when you were going back for the last, for the first few years, were you constantly instructing or? Uh, for no. Only two years, yeah. So Just two uh, years. Instructed, started doing some photo stuff, um, did my first ad, which was West Beach, which right. I still to this day owe a lot to West Beach because on it, I knew that I would get an ad and then I stole my Aranui High basketball singlet and on the shirt after I did the jump and stuff and it says Aranui and then the quote just another brother from Aranui I remember that ad it's a New Zealand snowboarder that was yeah. the first thing because for me what I wanted that to be was my statement of stuff you yeah like I'm just another brother from Aranui I took that singlet I came over here half around the world flipping snowboarding 10 pro I do a thing it's like cool that's, I still yep. remember. I still remember how you were holding your board, holding the board, and, and everything. That was all yep. by design because I was like, I wanted to wear that basketball singlet to rip my hood, which I'm super proud of. Mm. And then you know, it's funny. Years later, I created Arnu Adventures, and I had this vision where um, I'd roll up to a cafe in like street clothes and hat and whatever, and a ball a new whip, and then it would say Arnui on it, like ripping the hood. Mm. And then, funnily enough, ten years later, whatever it was, got a new Range Rover. All blacked out matte black. I'm in flipping Jordans and Nike hat and a hoodie or some shit on a Sunday morning at 6.30 doing, doing some solo time. And I pull up in Ponsonby and I see these two dudes look at Adonui license plate. My license plate was Adonui. Adonui Ventures on the top. I see these two old rich white boys at the front. And I come out and they look at it. And I can see them looking at the thing. But I, I was just like, oh, whatever, do my thing. Come in. And they're like, good on you, bro. And it clicked with my vision that I had 10 years later, which was they saw a young Maori dude and this baller whip sees I don't know they obviously know Christchurch they know I'm from the hood and then I'm repping my hood proud like and my A's mm. that I was wearing on my hats and stuff was like it was important for me so these like little so things were important what was Aranui 
mean, I don't know if is it, is it still a thing? Or? Yes, it's my it's my essentially my commercial operating entity that sat above and had ventures and bits and pieces of businesses and stuff. And so, right. um, and that kind of I guess finished really uh, four years ago after I exited my companies and had no more ventures and. Okay. Know, if I've been doing the, the dad thing for the last four years and whatever, but um, oh, cool. that was that was that was kind well, of maybe we'll touch on that a bit later yeah, on. Sure. I want to bring it back around to New Zealand snowboarding in the two thousands. Let's go. Um, it feels like in the New Zealand snowboarding two thousands, there was just a huge injection of energy and money, money as well. But there were some riders that really um, and riders that really put the yeah put uh, internationally left a mark like. And, um, I mean, fuck, where do we start? Like, I'm just going to rattle some names off, sure. like Steve Ferguson. Ferg's, I think, was so ahead of his game in terms of branding, mm. where he understood the cut-off sleeveless hoodies and the big double XL pants with the with the crochet beanie cross, the, the, that whole thing. The headbands. The headband shirts. Yeah. He had the whole thing on a lot, but he understood branding. He was... I'm not going to do a double cork. I'm just going to do the dopest front board and you watch me, mm. you know? And then the Catsburgs come behind them to follow it. And then for, for me, when I was on the come up, then it was, you know, I'd roll up to the events and it was AJ going against Dill for the slope style. And I got to watch these mm. idols, you know, and I got to see all these things and, you know, to, to not to segue too out of way, but I remember, you know, 2003 when I was a Poliwag, we turned up to Snow Park when it first kicks off. I'm watching um, Sean White do the big gap front lip on the top of the wall ride, the big burden giant kicker. Um, Dill Butt does a mega back five mute off the top. Jeremy Jones back sevens, Marcus Wheelie back sevens. Flipping Will J steps up at like 18 or whatever it was, goes yeah. back five, back seven, back nine. We did a video. We filmed a video that day that you can find on YouTube still. I think if you're talking like Snow Park 2003 or something, it's got me presenting at the front. It's like, hey guys, we're here at Snow Park. It's pretty mean. Check it out. Or some shit. And, that, and this was that infamous Burton Buddha you can see from the Captain Burton Buddha. Yeah. The Burton Buddha. Yeah. 100%. Dylan Butt did the dopest back five mute, bolts to the T. And. Fuck, he was, he was such an unstoppable Holy force shit. back then, eh? Yep, like, and then just, but I remember Will J stepping up to do it, and then Romain Demarchian, um, Giggy and stuff were all, they were, they were shooting on the whole Uninc gang, um, and I remember I was like, dude, Will J's the shit. Like, I already knew he was dope, but mm. when he stepped up, he didn't even flinch, he's like, cool, back five, boom, back seven, that, boom, back that nine. That would have been at the time where Tim, his older brother, was actually, yep. like, mm-hmm. fully... The like best had just got on the international team or some shit. The like, best part, you know, and obviously I'm homies with both of them, but I will say here, the best part about those two brothers is that we're in different lanes that never crossed over mm. and no one ever thought that they were against each other. Yeah. Because time and time and time and time and time and time again, if you look at any other sport with any other people with talent, mm. that's an issue. Mm. And the greatest part is they're on their own lanes doing their own thing. And, you know, I was at All Jays winning. Yeah. You know, it's it yeah. incredible. So, um, but yeah, that was that type that type of world. But I mean, at the time, you've got all this kind of great industry that's been built in Christchurch. You've got these legends which are doing big stuff. You've got the the Aaron Jamesons of the world with his signature pants and jacket and doing the stuff. The yeah, Sub Twenty Mafia yeah. that was rolling with um, Adrian Debs and Luca. Then you had uh, you had Five Forties at the time. You had Fruition. There was all those like great New Huffer. Zealand had half coming mm-hmm. out on the come up. All these these brands. Um, there was power in the brand. There was power in the ecosystem. There was power in um, in the quality of, of the writing too. Because at the time, you need to understand, there's no social in any of this other mm. shit. Quentin Robbins is a flipping star. 
Yeah. Right. Like these people were doing big shit, and it's, it's incredible. It's interesting because I'm. Well, well, I guess we'll announce, I'm going to announce it fairly soon anyway. It'll be announced by the time this comes out. But I'm working on a photo book based on this podcast of yeah. the story of New Zealand snowboard culture. And uh, a lot of the pictures I've been getting from photographers, um, Vaughan, Tim, yeah. Annika Stewart and all of that, um, all these pictures still stack up now from like, you know, there's pictures of Dylan Buck from 2004 that you could put out now yep. and no one would flinch like that's today that's still today yep you know um same with will and tim and tim watson and all these you you also people need, you know like you also need to understand too is if you look at the finals list of every big competition from 2003 to 2008 50 mm. percent of the finalists in any in any competition were kiwis yeah such a high six of the 12 in the slope style for half their burn opens was flipping kiwis against the Mason Aguri's and the the, the Kevin well, Pearsons and whatever. That's how Nick Brown back ten the pyramid gap. This is a few years later, but back ten the pyramid gap before Dan Bracey. Yep. So yeah. one of the things and I'm going to kind of touch on a little bit is we can get into the business stuff in a bit, but I was in the mix of so many sponsorship deals that other people mm. aren't aware of. And when that came through to me, I got the video, I sent it to the international team. I was like, you need to flip and get this guy. And I was sending, I would ninja move content plays mm. to help these brands get talent. Mm. And I feel Nick Brown did not get the international shot that he truly deserved. Mm. Oh, totally. And I feel his skill set for his work ethic was so understated and so mellow that he almost sat back and took it a little bit, which I think was bullshit because I think his, the size of hit and scale of what he was doing technically was so far ahead of half these other international Muppets mm. and it just didn't feel there was quite a pop there. I don't know if it was a branding thing or a strategic thing, a politic thing, who, who knows, right? Was but, he a classic Kiwi guy of like, let your writing do the talk and then, you know. I don't know. I, I, th- I think he, I, I, personally believe his I mean his introduction yeah, stupid his first stupid. introduction in um, New Zealand snowboarder was a backside nine if I remember rightly in 2004 and it's like that's that's your the sequence yeah was it yeah. cab nine or back nine I think it was a back nine and it was yeah. on the nitro board and it's like that's your intro like holy sh-. and this was like 04 when back nines were still yeah. like well, at the time too, there was no doubles and bits and pieces. He mm. had size, he had style, he had all that. But you know that there was a gap because basically all of a sudden these kind of younger bucks were sort of pushing up and into it. The Will Jays were coming up into it mm. and whatever you know. So the 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 Denon, the Denny, the Dillons, the the Qs, the the um, the AJs of the world, they were at that point of you know like three, five, sevens, mm. maybe maybe one or two nines, and then the Browners roll through. Mm. And he's like, like the jar, front seven tail, boom, cab nine, boom, back nine, boom. And then the doubles come. So there was this gap. And the, the easiest one to see is you look at the, the winning half pipe runs from 2003 to 2010. As soon as we got to that back-to-back sevens and nines and whatever, and then the double came in, that was just like, and Ross Powers, thanks for coming. And Mason Aguri, this has been a good ride. And like, it literally was just like a switch of like, um, if you're not there, later on. remember seeing an 09 Sean White at the Cadrona Pipe linked the first I emceed it yeah yeah. I, I watched that on my lunch break and it was one of those moments like wow we just watched 
the history. Yeah. And what's even crazier... So I watched history on my fucking lunch break. No, yeah. I mean, you could, yeah. I mean, all through it. But yeah, yeah, to the point, I guess there was the, the first wave that came, which was legacy. The next wave that came was like, now we're in nines and tens territory. Now mm. we're starting to get into doubles and bits and pieces. And, you know, mm. uh, so basically, the, I mean, to, to talk about it was basically you had the... That was kind of the two the two lanes. Mm. So, and with Browner, like, it was sort of... I liked how he... Like, him and Heiner ran deep. And you had Browner, who was just this big... Sender. ...thing. Yep. And Heiner had this other sort of creative, semi-quirky, pre-Scott Stevens, playful... But he still yep. did fucking big shit. Totally. But had this almost antithesis to the hammer time that Browner was chucking. You- like, an argument could be said that they ran in the same track of Wool J and Tim, TJ. Mm. They were Boise's, but they weren't a, cro- a crossover. Yeah. You know? Um, exactly, you know? Like, the, the technical... I mean, when we did Snow Dice with Flippin' Nick, Brown, Nick Hine, it's pretty much no tricky. the dude Flippin' couldn't do. Yeah. Switch on long, one foot this, two step that, blah, blah, blah. It's, like, stupid, right? And then you come to jumps, and you're like, all right, now it's a hundred footer and Brown is going to do everything anyway, you know? Yeah. So, but I, I feel that the wave transitioned the old guard out real quick. Mm. It felt like within an, a one season period, almost after Brown's back nine, that like oh four five mm. year, mm. it was kind of like, I'm not saying thanks old doggers, it's been real, but holy shit, there was no chance people were messing with the Coyers back sevens or the flipping the Browners and the Heiners and the Wiljay. It was just like, it was done. So I, next- I remember that period you're talking about because I stayed overseas for just under a couple of years, 05. I missed the 05 New Zealand season. Mm. Come back at the start of 06, picked up New Zealand snowboarder. It was like, who the hell is this Nick Hine? Who the hell is this Tim Watson? Who the hell Who the hell are these people? But that's you know? when as well and we It's have, just like, yep. well, I've, I've missed a change of the guard here a little bit. The difference in that yeah. too is the young buck, and this is where you got to think on the commercial side for a second, the young bucks that were on the come up were creating their own content. The mm. old guard was locked in with the Phil Erickson of the world to lock in the shoots, and they kind of had the relationships at the top. Mm. But then all this new content started getting created by themselves, with the Vaughn Brookfields coming up and the Tim Pierce's coming through. Mm. And the creation, it was almost just this new pocket of, like the classic being, oh, we're going for a shoot with Phil Erickson, but because he's not a sponsor, he can't come. But then because flipping Billabong or Ripkill is doing a double page spread when they go on the heli trip, then their rider gets in. So mm. it, was, it, was, it was so politicized from a content perspective where you'd have great riders that were not on the right brands, so the politics and the money didn't play, so they wouldn't get to shoot with Phil, so they weren't getting the magazine. Yeah, right. So. But then the difference is when you get the flipping, the, the Tim Pierce's and the, um, the Vaughn Brookfizzle world, Vaughn, Vaughn was living and breathing with Heiner and Browner. Yeah. Tim Pierce on this side was living and breathing with the Jesse Wilkinsons and the Tim like, Watsons like and the boys. Partying together and shit. And They're living together. Stuff, yeah. yeah. So, so you see content output. I see strategy. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm like, ah, oh, he lives with him. He gets the thing, you know? So, um, but you know, the, the writing was awesome. The legends did their mm. thing. I've got to say though, like, uh, Quentin, we're talking about legends. Legend. He, he, like, we talk about this wave of the the new guys coming and the old guys sort of moving on. He stuck around and held his own for a long time after. Agree. Like, which is pretty amazing to think about. Like, he was pro from about 94 to about 2009. He had a niche. Yeah. He had legacy and he was still relevant. Yeah. So Volcom's like, 
here's your check. You do you. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And Marcus Worley was kind Same. of a similar deal. Yeah, really similar. And I think to a degree too, Dylan. Yep. You know, like there's, there's something that they're writing still, you'd still see something in 2009 and it might not be a nine, but you're like, damn, that's... What's well, the Devin Walsh effect? You know, it's the yeah. Mark Frank effect. Yeah, it's the yeah, cool double corks are rad, but how dope is your shifty? Yeah, oh man, that's rad, but can you just like why don't you just cab one at no grab? Yeah, you know. The, yeah. So, um, but yeah, to answer the question, it was it was it was pretty cool, and obviously I was on the on the little train up myself, which I was doing, and mm. it was all good. Well, while we talked about Nick uh, Nick Hine, I sort of. I see a lot of similarity in your writing style to him with this. He was more like, technical and better than me. I did mm. fun, cool shit. He did kind of gnarly, crazy tech shit that was also really good. Mm. <laughs> like, well, was like so. The the output I've seen of you in the magazines, like there was some big things and there was yeah. a lot of fun, playful stuff and some awesome urban jibs yeah. that I want to talk about later on. Was people like Heiner an influence behind that, or what? What sort of motivated this playful style to come out? At, yeah, was it an antithesis to the Hammers, or no, no? I just um, once again, like I never idolize anyone. I always ride with everyone, but I would always just think of because I was, I guess, creatively minded myself. What would I think would be dope for me to try? Or mm. what would like I didn't? I knew I wasn't going to go jump off a hundred foot cliff to try and pay rent. I mean, it was mm. very when I came into the game my whole headspace was and it was one line I'm not going to be 30 having to jump off a cliff to pay rent yeah it was just very clear right and my game plan was get in blow up get to business get out mm. it was strategy mm. and I was yes I've done, like I did some kind of cool shit like I mean like whatever but I was only very I was extremely selective with when I choose to turn the dial up mm. you know like on an average day, I'm not going to go around and try and try some crazy dumb shit. But when I knew, hey, this photographer's going to be there, he's going to shoot a portrait. I think if I get this angle on this thing, it's going to shoot that base. That might be a cover. That's the difference you know? between a professional and a stuntman, though, isn't it? Like oh. I'm sure, if, <laughs> yeah. sure, if, sure. If you sit down with Will or Tim or Abby or any any of these people that have done that, it's like they're not throwing hammers every minute no. of the day it's like when it's on when the conditions are right and when they're feeling it it's on but yep. otherwise it's what's well, a self-awareness for that too shit, you know you know and so you know on on, on the come up with it because i had um because i've seen plenty of stuntmen come and go yeah stuntmen come and go you know well and, it's, it's transactional right yeah. it's, they're playing checkers not chess and it's cause cool. like yeah dope that was mean you almost died and it's like oh you do that enough you're gonna just blow your acl and now you're out for the season so mm. that's done you know but um you know, at the time, I'd so I'd come up, you know, I, I won the National Jib Jam, NZSBA Rider of the Year, ended up getting silver medal at the World Finals from Young Bloods, did all these like Billabong Soap style, went to France. But, like, I did some cool things, right? Mm. I was never the dopest. Mm. I had some of the best fun, <laughs> maybe, mm. um, but I I knew when to turn it on and off, and I knew it was fun, and I loved it, and I was in, you know? Mm. Um, but I think too many people. I was playing chess the whole way through. Yeah. And only a couple of people have really got it. Yeah. And I want to sort of bring it back around to a couple more writers that time. Um, were you um, tight with like Shelley Gottlieb and Abby? And yeah, well, they all came, when they were coming through, I think uh, maybe Shelley was on like Roman Smith at the time. She ended up getting to Burden and Anon. Um, so I swear she was, she doesn't get enough credit now for like the, 
big things that she was doing agreed back then but you understand from a branding and, and content perspective visually there was a tension between the noise of Drew Bray being the queen mm. to the young bucks that were then coming up of getting the other noise yeah Drew, Drew, Drew Bray was in that same world of you know the AJs and the Dylans and the Denny's yeah. and then she's still cranking and getting there but then on the come up on the, the female side then you had you know um the, the Shelleys of the world and then ended up being the Christies and the Possums and bits and pieces mm. on the come up there. So the, the, the kind of way I would feel about it and, and I probably, I don't know if it's the right opinion, but would be, you know, when the Olympics come around, you can send four people for, for per sport mm. on the high performance side, we ended up losing every single half pipe rider we had and we didn't even have 20 to four to pick. Mm. So there was a pipeline issue at the start there was an execution issue at the end and everything became so combative and like almost predatory against each other because there are only a few people not realizing hey if we get a hundred people riding pipe 40 of them might be okay 20 of them could be good 10 might be bangers and then we send four people to go for the shot instead of oh the only one we've got is james hamilton so he goes or mitchy is the only one we have so we go or whatever it is right mm. that we needed a hundred not one mm. So our sport had a pipeline issue. If you look at it strategically, with the output that we had, we were getting fifty percent of these these finals going through New Zealand these New Zealand competitions against international riders. Show a graph, and this is like not getting to the political side of things, but I understood this game very well very early. Show me a graph of the results as a collective of New Zealand riders versus international riders from two thousand and three Burden Open or the Burden Open sessions or whatever it was to two thousand and ten or thirteen. There you go. Give me ten years. And what you will find is a increase in capital for high performance sport, a decrease in competitive riders across every single field. And when you have the squeeze that comes with this person wins by default, that creates not good headspaces for riders, that creates additional tension, that doesn't create camaraderie, Mm. because what it does is actually splits people apart. And so um, one of my... So was this from like organized government uh, like bodies coming government in or? politics bullshit i don't need to get into it too much but look at the data hmm. yes we've got some amazing epic individuals now doing some great dope shit flipping sweet hmm. but we had the best parks and facilities in the world hmm. from 2003 to 2010 when we had snow park and flipping we can get into it in a bit whatever and there was a disconnect between the amount of competitors the amount competing the amounts qualifying going against the nationals and eventually even being able to spend for so mm. don't want to get like too much into it because we're in a, a bit of a better space now but i felt that snowboarding we would have done better as a industry if we would have been strategically set up right from high performance new zealand snow sports new zealand nzsba nzsbu government fund the whole entire thing head of sport realizing this is that we have a pipeline issue not a person issue mm. so sorry for the little rant but it's the truth Mm. run the data and show me that graph and I'll show you what it says mm. it says money coming in for high performance zero piss all going to the bottom to help it help it kick off right so so does that sort of mean like uh, the grassroots are you yeah there's not, not there's, there's zero dollars for the there's zero dollars yeah. for the for the bottom yeah it was thirty thousand dollars for the bottom and there was seven figures for the top Jesus. so how does that translate out it's like well the winners are going to be the, the psychos that pop up that are just insanely talented anyway who are going to be the flipping the weapons that do it? Not we have a fertile ground pumping out chestnut amazing checkers. chestnut checkers. Yeah, 
crew plane transaction and i could see it early and you know we ended up not to get into too much of the bullshit side but i was on the new zealand snowboard team and i was watching all those bits and pieces i was seeing funding go to high performance sport for results for people that weren't even in the flipping team but they were getting claimed for the new zealand so there was dollars being made i'm not going to say names that was going to individuals in high performance new zealand for events results that people that weren't even associated with it at all were getting how does that happen right yeah but look I'm, we don't need to get into the accounting issues of, <laughs> of, of sport, but I, 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 I guess I feel... Well, it's interesting. Like, I'm an outside yeah, looking at totally. all this stuff, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, look, it's... Um, we're in a better place now. Mm. Things are hopefully in the, in the right direction. The game's obviously changed. But my thing was, you always have more momentum when there's more people in the same walker as you go in the same way. Instead yeah. of feeling lonely and ostracized and the pressure and weight of an entire ecosystem built on the back to make sure you don't stuff it. So anyway. Mm. Um, yeah. mm. um, I'm going to circle it back around to Cruise again. Did you run with the Dero crew at all or <laughs> kick around with those guys? The best bit about uh, my world specifically was, you know, I was a brother from Aranui, come up in the hut game. So we're already outsiders. We're from Canterbury. Mm. I come into Wanaka, do the Polish thing. And yeah, there was the kind of the other legends that were charged around there. The Deros were popping off on that side. And one of my, some of my best time, cause I mess with anyone. Like I don't, like I'm homies with it. Like I am, I'm all for it. But some of my best times with the Deros all the way through to, you know, we went to in 07 when we were in, um, <laughs> we were in Utah staying with the Deros there and Heiner and Browner and, you know, dudes uh, like drilling screws into the doors of cars to lock people in, putting firecrackers in, <laughs> like caravans and shit I flipping love those boys mm. they had the right intent the right energy the right vibe and it was it was fun and cool you know it was um, that that energy that they had mm. no many other crews had mm. and it created a vibe and a scene they were almost like the New Zealand version of the Pollywogs when we had over in Tahoe mm. and they were consistency with it you know um, they were entertaining their videos and stuff they lived mm they yeah. lived like yes you had some senders in there or whatever yeah. but how cool is it that you could have a video that comes out you've got Browner doing cab nines and double corks and shit and you've got like like Johnny slipping off a front board at the remarks park but it's still in the video because he's one of the boys like yeah. it's that was the they, they got like, it you know I, I, I really think their videos just perfectly encapsulates that moment yep. in time in your early to mid 20s yeah where you just this is all that matters you and know? they lived it they loved it and it was going. I mean, I was in different parts at the time too. I mean, I had a crew up in Methven and shit. I was in Wanaka. I was kind of all over. I was still sort of traveling, but you know, I was, and then up north with like Leroy Christensen. We're doing that stuff up there. But you know, so even in in Methven, you know, I was living at a buddy's house. Uh, Chris Wallace and I rented his bathroom for forty dollars a week. Mm. <laughs> I put my all my clothes in the in the tub, put a little foam mattress down, and that was how I rolled. You know, so everyone's mm. got their own little bubbles. Cool little time, but. I like the fact that I could come in and out of any, any of the worlds and I was mm. boys with all of them. Like I had no real beef with anyone. Mm. I was homies with everyone, enjoying it, doing my own thing because once again I was you know, playing chestnut checkers and I was focused on the next. Mm. Oh, sweet. And we sort of talked about it before so we'll bring it back up and talk about it properly. Uh, Snow Park. Snow Park. The, the, 
the beast uh, that was. I mean, it just, it's nuts to think it's been gone 10 years and just the influence and the legacy that that place yep. had. And I just know, like, you were a part of it because I've seen a lot of pictures of you. Mm-hmm. Well, I was boys with there Sam. And stuff yeah, and totally. All of that. Can we talk a bit about Snow Park and what it means to you? Yeah. Well, before we get into that, sorry to interrupt. What was your first impression when you drove around that corner and pulled up in the car park and what you seen? They did a snowpark yearbook with a page of the names of the first season pass holders ever. Mm. And I was on it. Sick. I got a pass when I was 2002, three, whatever it is. I come up to see it. And one of the first days there was, was literally, I think one of the, uh, snowpark big Buddha days, you know, that place Well, for starters, I gave Tim Pierce shit about it earlier this week. That flip, Tim, I'm going to say it around. Tim Pierce is going to make the Snowpark doco one day. <laughs> I will not rest until he makes the Snowpark doco. Mm. Because over a decade's gone past since it hasn't been here. Mm. But what that single place did for the entire world of snowboarding will not only never be for, forgotten, but it needs to get documented the right way because of what it did. It didn't just change the game. It was at the tipping point where the money was coming in, the sport was blowing up, everything was popping, New Zealand became the centre hub of the entire world. Snow Park was the capital of snowboarding in the world for probably three to five years. Mm, like Burton would do their catalogue shoots down here. The entire thing. The, the, the White Album. Yep. That Sean White DVD and shit. Yep. The four, yep. four jumps he's doing back-to-back, doing, figuring out the back-to-back nines, and everyone's like, dude... Sean almost did all four nines in one row. And the thing is, everyone's talking on the hill, so I'd be coming down. But you know, the, the moments there, right? You've got the big air, the 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 burden big jump. Mm. You've got Ken Block. That's right. We yeah. were on the cross thing doing the intro to MDTV with Bevan Hall, look across, and we're like, uh, is that Eddie Wall doing a back five or thing? And that happened right in front of us. Yeah. The first time he jumped over it, it actually tipped over too much. And I don't know if people have talked about it on the show. But then they drove up to the maintenance thing, chucked a whole bunch of shit in the in the boot, like rakes and forks and sandbags and whatever, just to balance it out. And then he went back around and just jumped it again. <laughs> I was watching Ken Block come up with the, with the lifters to go turn left. And some like punter family was like skiing down and they had to stop and give way to a Subi drifting coming uphill. <laughs> like if Osh saw it, be like, what? And then every, the, the billabong parties. My God, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Zinny going around naked on skidoos. <laughs> Groomers having battles. Flipping <laughs> rolling and stuff jumping off the, 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 the rooftop. The flipping Mary Downhill, which we were running. The the Lupe Fiasco, PNC, all the other shit. I wanted to ask, can you, uh, for our listeners, talk about, about the Mary Downhill? What yeah, so the Mary Downhill had to stop for starters because a reporter got wind of it and was trying to make it a racial thing, which is bullshit because I'm Maori. It's like, stuff you, I can do it. But basically, instead of a Chinese downhill, he had to ride to the bottom. I thought it'd be funny to do a race from top to bottom of Snow Park, run across the um, the bridge, and then you got a Scala 40, a Scala um, Swapper. Oh, Scala Swapper. So you had to boost all the way down, boom, and after you just totally tapped, race down to the bottom, run across the bridge, you had to finish the uh, sw- Swapper crate. Liam Peter Ryan actually won one of the first ones, I think. Um, but there was like the Māori downhill, which was, which was awesome. But, you know, they had a hip with bands playing over the top. You had every type of, like Lupe Fiasco rolled mm. up. But there was you know? also no secrets as well. Like, 
you're saying before, like, oh, Sean White had, like, all four nines. It's like, yeah, because we were riding the chair and seeing it happen. Yeah. Like, there was... Which was good for, like, I think... Ed Lee maybe talks about it a bit, where, um, like, Zoe, Carlos, and JJ had a good advantage because they could see where... What was going on? Like, you could see right in front of you where the international standard was. There was no yep. secret half-pipe thing in the middle of nowhere. It was all happening right in front, and you were just paying for a lift pass to be there. Yeah. You got, yeah. We, we got to witness we got to witness greatness. Sam, yeah. Sam Lee and the family, he was young, he was brave, he was mm. bold. They flipping sent it. You know, there's my first memories for me Joe Balls, like Joe Winokuri. Mm. Rolled up to <laughs> Red Rock. Yeah. Rolled up to Red Rock at a staff party. For yeah. Snowpark, I was homies with everyone. Right? I rode for Mount Hart, but I was besties with the crew at Cardi's, and obviously homies with the crew at um at Hart. Like me and Sambo, Sam was at my wedding. You know the whole thing. Roll up to Red Rock, come in, and then I look over, and someone's on the, about to sink the black ball, and I look over, and flipping Joe gets his nuts out, fills up the sack of the flipping pocket of the <laughs> pool table <laughs> to distract him, and they miss the ball. Like that's the first meeting of Joe. Like. Putting his ball sack, covering up the flipping whole pocket of a full size billiard table, and it was like five dollar jugs or something. I'm like, it's a risky move, dude. I flipping love that guy. There's so many amazing people that have gone, and I I think a lot of people owe Snowpark so much, and I really don't like how it's not accurately given the respect that that place has deserved. Mm. Sam Lee, we're going to throw it out there too. Uh, the mic's open if you want to come on and talk about Snowpark. When the time is right for Sam, mm. his story, his true story for it will be so incredible that more people need to hear it. Mm. And there's a pretty mean crew of people that worked up there too. Like, I mean, fuck, we can't talk about Snowpark without talking about Dogger. Like Matt White. Yep. Who's that guy? That guy. Uh, Matt. I nev- Mad Dog. Mad Dog. Matthew White. Yeah. Never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, don't know what you're talking about. Um, dude, the best thing about Mad Dog is his pure love and joy for the sport mm. blinds everything else. And the true talent he has that he was able to craft and do for for that place is is next, next to anything. And it's cool because he's one of my older crew and he's just always given me shit and abused me for years. So it's like... <laughs> You know, you, but you need those two. You need mm. the older crew to beat you in line, put you in check, and, and he was one of the guys Someone's that... Someone's got to keep it real. Oh. Keeps it real. Mm. Used to live with Mad Dogs at my wedding. Absolute absolute champion. I can't wait for his his one. And I know he's going to... He'll be listening to this right now, and I know you've probably asked him a whole bunch to come on it, and I've got to fly... I can fly half... If I can fly half around the world to this, do this flipping podcast, that Muppet can walk down three steps from flipping <laughs> Bovet Place and come and have a conversation. <laughs> Mad Dog, stuff you. You know you need to come do this. Stop being a little bitch. Anyway, sorry, I digress. There we have it, Dogger. And um, like, who else we got? Butters, Sally Norman. Yep. Fuck, I mean, there's some full... Weapons. Full weapons there, eh? Dean Hunt yep. in the kitchen. Tommy Pedden in the kitchen. Fuck, some absolute legends there. Sally um, Norman is a great human. I've been asking her for so long to come on, I've stopped. So, I've made it very clear. Sally, I won't abuse you. You are lovely, unlike Mad Dog. Mm. He sucks. But <laughs> Sally is an absolutely incredible human who did mm. so much up there. There was so much of the glue behind the scenes that not many mm. people saw. Yeah. Um, and if they'd see her cruising, they wouldn't know that she was actually running shit. Yeah. But 
Those are no no shoes around shit. Yeah. Oh, sweet. And so what's some of your favourite um, snow park moments or things that stand out there? Because, I mean, there's so much to choose, like Travis Rice filming That's It, That's All, or the White Album, or Jake and Will jumping off the bridge. Will's yep. tired of talking about that, but that's fine. But, you know, like, is there some moments that stand out for you where something that's just an association straight away like snow park boom this moment or um i i'm fortunate that i was in the game to be to be i was in these moments Mm. and for me the fact that i got to physically be there watching people i knew change the world of the sport that i loved was incredible Mm. like i even remember that when they did the that's it that's all premiere in 2008 at the at the waterfront mm. and it opens up with these like oh yeah new snow parks new, oh, new zealand's awesome blah blah and there's a there's a heli shot that zooms in on the car ride out to to triple cone to go heli mm. and they go through the water and that splashes mm. the place well for starters red bull and had chucked on like free booze for two hours beforehand mm. so by the time it starts everyone's just pumping but to this day, if you look at every different type of snowboard video that was made, and then when you look at that's it, that's all start scene, and you look at that first section, snowboarding had never been filmed like that before, at a level that had never been done before, with the rider who was at the absolute top of his game, doing things that we didn't think were possible, and it was happening five minutes down the road. Yeah. <laughs> when that splash comes through, when the car goes through the water thing, the place flipping erupted. And so mm. these moments of awesomeness, I think that's some of the best things you can ask for. Yeah. And we had those, we got to live those moments. And that's what I'm saying about the depth of things, mm. the, the the relationships and the times, these great things. And Cardi's has had their moment and Remark's had their moment and whatever. But Snow Park and the area, we were just at this crazy intersection of industry hype, global commercialization, global media, global talent, Mm. And we're at the intersection of all of it, and we literally got to live and breathe it. And you would have seen that as well. Like every every second person, like holy shit, that's so and so doing this and that and that. It's you know, it's amazing. Well, it's it's funny now looking back because at the time, like I loved riding snow park and I had a great time. But you know, like I took it for granted. You know, like oh, I'd be around forever, and you know, and then now looking back at it, it's like man, how lucky was I to be at the age I was that's at exactly the time I was right. to experience that. Because, so you get it. You know, like that's you know and. I was, cause I was never really a big park rider anyway. I'd go over there every now and then, but I was, I was whatever, you know? Yeah. But, like, now looking back, I feel so lucky to have experienced On that, it, dude. You know? I'm, like, And every time I see someone that I haven't seen that's from that world, like, we've experienced something together that no one yeah, else yeah. ever got, got to. And especially for a a thing that you were passionate about you're young once you get these moments once mm. we were young at the time where that thing popped the game today mm. has nowhere near the same energy so or momentum trying to describe it to some guys at Smoko the other day at work and they're like oh but you know like last year or whatever pre-COVID we had like these names coming down it's like yeah but you don't get it like, you don't get it it was that times 30 and they, you were hanging out and riding the chair with these guys you were kind of riding with them if you could keep up yes you were cute behind them in the fish and chip shop you were like almost first names with them different but that's but I was just a guy and you know like, I wasn't yeah. even anyone well na- now it's and, it's seagulls they mm. fly in do their thing piss off then yeah. it was in the DNA you were going to house parties and Travis Rice was in the house party mm. Auntie Artie was in there 
the yeah. Billabong team were doing that. You know, it was yeah. it was more I mean, their culture was meshed. How funny is Katzberg's story about uh, his sister um, shaving what Nate Bozung's head or Todd yeah. Richards' head? You know, that's just another night Two. out in Wanaka. You yeah. know, and we were very like, fortunate. And um, Tim Pierce one day will make the doco, mm. and it will be incredible. And every single person in the snow scene will help him. Oh yeah. Travis will unleash every bit of footage. Sean White will give everything to them. Everyone that's done anything there will give everything to make that thing happen. Mm. It'll um, be awesome. I mean, my, shit. I'm just thinking, yeah, you got me. I just thought of my first day there. Well, because I love to ride halfpipe, even though I wasn't that good at it. But remember just riding that and then looking over and seeing Glenn Leggett dropping in to hit the 40-footer, yep. which was a big deal, a big deal at the time for a medium jump. Chucking like a front rodeo with a trust base graphic, yeah. And the stereo system was playing around, it was playing Super Groove, I think. And I was just like, "Holy shit!" This like, I wasn't. It was a movie, you know. It was just like, "Wow!" Actually, is- uh, you, you sparked something, Tony. The moment of Snowpark, which really stuck things into my head, is the Burton quarter pipe night, where. Mason and the crew were going like the big they were dropping from the top of the half pipe and it was at night time mm. and it was some of the most insane huge massive biggest I've ever seen in my life it was mm. it was it was so crazy Kelly Clark won Mason Aguirre won um, but it was it was incredible Those that, and then watching the trail of cars zigzag back down to the bottom at the end of it it was pretty special so those nights were awesome we I remember when they were on we would finish work up Kadrona come over drive down come over and same for the night riding they yep. had too it was it was awesome yeah yeah totally it's again good. very lucky that we got to on it experience that on it hmm is there anything else we need to talk about with snow park there or we kind of oh man there's I mean everyone's that's I mean this what this doco we'll watch the doco fucking snow park i don't want this podcast cut this is actually the conversation this is perfect because Mm. every part is real and every part is 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 right Mm. Mm. that's sweet well i'm gonna segue away from snow park for a little bit because i have a feeling we're going to come back to it a couple more times um a rider that we didn't mention i sort of think sort of rolled tight with him was give him his own sort of props was RMB and specifically <laughs> yeah. before we talk about his stunts on the board yeah. or his longevity as a pro yep. can we talk about the story about his head being taped to the floor and the yeah. start of his Dero part so I'll happily talk about this yeah. because I listened to it and I think he was so drunk at the time he may not have realised what actually happened Roller Morley Brown got wasted in South Lake with us in spring of whatever it was. And we went to Dick Schultz's house upstairs with me, Mitchie Brown, and him there. I think Blair Finlay was there too because we'd come over from Utah. And we strapped his head to the ground <laughs> and his arm to the thing and almost lost his circulation on it. So, Rolly, your story was wrong. Yes, you were drunk, but you were in the wrong state with the wrong people because it was me. <laughs> <laughs> and I took that photo, oh. and I've still got it, and I will release it one day. I've actually got, in, in all seriousness, I have a Pelican case in a secured mini vault with about 60 different hard drives of New Zealand snowboarding from 2000 and whatever, all the mm. way through. <laughs> and I've got plenty of content, and I will start 
slowly releasing it. Maybe I do it. I do it through through your podcast or through your through your Insta or whatever it may be. Um, and good. So yeah, plenty of times all over the show, and um, uh, it was good. I, I wanted to. One thing I wanted. I kind of forgot that. Not forgot. I wanted to weave back into is after the Tahoe thing. I was fortunate enough to live in Canada, mm-hmm. go through France, go all over and do a bunch of cool shit too. So I was like, there's plenty of nuts and bolts out of all of it that I, you don't even forget you don't, but you go and you sort of live in it and breathe in it and, mm-hmm. and all into it. So it was good. Mm. And we talk, we'll keep it on Rolly for a bit because yeah. like he's still, 20 years later, still doing it as a pro, which is pretty impressive. Like, Amazing impressive. Yeah. I think with Rolly too is his energy and passion for what he does gives him so much more longevity mm. because it's so pure with the love he has for what he does mm. you know yeah it's like a Brian Gucci now yeah I'm still sponsoring that dude if I'm a sponsor why because it's flipping Brian Gucci. yeah not yeah. for legend and status but for the energy and the money that he brings with it and I think um, Rolly holds a, a, a lot of money within that space to be able to do as much as he wants for as long as he wants yeah yeah and uh I mean, so I'm just trying to figure out, like, what's my favorite shot of him? And it's like, fuck, there's too many. Like, that pivot at snow, on the Snowpark Bridge. or It's probably up there, yep. Or that um, the pyramid, that pyramid hit that um, Sean Vaughan Brookfield shot. Yep. Like, holy fuck. Like, at a time where, like, I'll, I've almost put those pictures up against the people hitting pyramid now and pick those. You know? Those Dioros sent it, mate, I'll tell you that yeah. much. They were gnarly. <laughs> they were gnarly. Dudes. They were gnarly. Mm. Like, I mean, Heath, holy shit. Yeah. Questions about that guy. Fucking it, holy it's shit. It's been awesome watching you or listen to you talk to all these other crew and are unpacking mm. so much of the stuff which they probably t- took for granted. We watched from the outside thinking it was crazy. They mm. were doing it and in it, and then now retrospectively looking back of all these different people we're talking about you know 10 20 years later um it's pretty cool to see mm. Mm. and we can't really talk about new zealand riders without talking about mitch brown which is someone that um from the outside looking in you guys rolled pretty tight yep. for quite a while together yep uh even jumping behind him scaring him waking him up in the back of the van tormenting him a little bit <laughs> <laughs> we were on the come up too so he was in the y- y- young buck on the come up we were, we were both alright so I used to um, stay with him and the family up there um, Diana stuff was like second mother in the snowboard world for a little bit for me which was cool um, probably the thing with Mitchie was the skill set for the apex of where he was at in 07 he won the Burden Open that's right he yeah. beat Mason Aguri Jack Matrani Kevin Pierce. He beat everyone, like legit beat. Yeah. Second at the slope style. I think I second at the Billabong slope style too. His skill set was so... The thing was, Mitchie too, he knew how to snowboard. Mm. Like, what I mean, he knew... He understood edge control, speed, timing, mm. all the rest of it. He was absolutely on, on fire there. And, you know, at the end of that season when it was starting to pop and go and then he had the accident, you know, he obviously talked about that more. But I was... Um, I was in Christchurch, got the phone call from his old man. I, I stopped everything and I was in Dunedin that night. I slept, I remember sleeping on the, in the hotel floor on the ground thing next to the, him and the whanau there then. Good dude. Yeah. I texted him today actually, I said, because obviously uh, down here, but um, a, a true love for the sport. He was obviously focused and stuff with where he was at. 
um, and he had a good ride with it too. Mm. And now it was like a super coach. Yeah, super yeah, coach. Which, fuck, why wouldn't why, why wouldn't you want to have that guy? Well, along alongside yeah. that same world in, in the buckets was as much as homies with Mitchie and doing stuff in the mountain was Leroy Christensen. Yeah, right. Leroy um, Christensen. We started a crew together called MWB, Marys oh, and White Boys. That's right. Yeah. And it, we started in tour of two thousand and three because we realized that there was like pretty much like no other like Maori that was snowboarding (laughs) and we're on our own bus. So we created these like logo bandanas and the whole thing. But his, um, I feel Leroy Christensen had not only one of the best styles in New Zealand snowboarding. I think he was one of the most naturally talented humans with Mm. the most naturally gifted skill sets, which Mm. was so he did nowhere near what he could have. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm, I just, I met him through Logan Holt. Yep. And liked him right away. Yep. Just good such dude. a good person. I was with him last week yeah. at Open Auckland. What's he Absolutely up to? Amazing. What's he doing these days? Living the Cooney, you know, wifey, two kids. Oh, yeah. Cr- cranking Still away. Still shredding? Still shredding, but not obviously no, as, not as mm. much as he used to. But, you know, all, think, all, all these things were awesome. I think you nailed it with him, though. Like, such a naturally gifted shredder. Yep. Like, you, you watch his, at 13 years old, his cab tail C7s, perfect. Cab 9, perfect. Cab says mm. perfect. I Back still, five, perfect. I mean, I seen it at Snowpark. Yeah. You know, it was just, like, just wow, like amazing. And you know, you, you get fortunate enough to be able to ride with great people doing good things. You know, I was lucky with Solomon; they hooked me up to go with the burden of uh, the Solomon Pro Team to uh, a week in fucking Broken River and Snowpark and bits and pieces. And I was with David Benedict, Scotty Arnold, Josh Dirksen, the Robot Food Crew, whatever. Wow. Watching the newly released DVD of Chappelle Show. <laughs> wow yeah. with David Benick and, and, and it was the yeah. most incredible wow. thing of like I'm with my heroes David, like with my heroes David Benedict was the track guy for a while wasn't yep. he he was one that did the um, video part where every track he did he did switch yeah and he did nighttime daytime yeah because right. he was creative yeah you know who the nicest the nicest human at all that the crew was Josh Dirksen Josh Dirksen oh, Josh yeah. Dirksen was an absolute awesome great human he was yeah he was rad and then the other one who was really like not proud moment tick the box thing the fact that i got to shoot with blotto rad yeah with burton was probably up there and you know we still talk in bits and pieces now but i was extremely fortunate that i got to i got to take a photo i shot with blotto and you know what i'm good you know yes i got you know silver medal at the word finals yes i did all sort of stuff i got to take a photo that was published with Blotto. I'm good. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a I'm good. pretty good feather in the cap. I'm right good. There, isn't it? And even more ironically is out of all the people that have seen me snowboard, I've snowboarded with, my mother's never seen me on a hill snowboard. Really? She saw me snowboard one time in 2004 at a jib jam in Christchurch at the Woost Boost Jib Fest or something, and I won it. So. But she never seen me snowboard. And how ironic is that? Like my whole life was something she's never even seen. <laughs> it's great, great, it's, crazy. It's kind of out of it, eh? Yeah. But it was cool because it was my, it was my thing to do. So yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, that's pretty unreal. Um, I mean, Broken River and <laughs> Chateau. Like, fuck yeah. I'm gonna cut my bit out of the. No. Um. <laughs> Tony, this is perfect. Do not cut it. <laughs> this is the conversation. This is how we want it because it's real. <laughs> Mm. Um, 
another New Zealand personality that we've sort of bought up, but we need to bring up properly, is Tim Pearce. Yes. Wallow. Wallow. <laughs> yes. Which, from what I could tell, talking of photography, was the guy that you ran deeper, pretty deep with, or deepest with. Yep. Yep. Um, I mean, fuck, in that time, that mid to late 2000s, he was a pretty big force with his photography in New Zealand Snowboarder Emmanuel. Yep. And... He single-handedly was more of a force than half of the media outlets in New Zealand. Hmm. His he was. We talked about this the other day. We caught up in um, in Auckland. He's up there f- doing some uh, work stuff with Wifey and jo- uh, Jossie Wells joined us, and Liam McKay popped in. And and I, I said to him, you know, I said we were such a lethal one-two. It was like Shaq and Kobe. Hmm. I was driven for creation and content and business shit, whatever. He was driven on creativity and output. And so you've got one young buck go-getter, let's go kill shit, destroy and flip and demo and do all this dope shit. And you've got one guy like, this is how we're going to make it look epic and let's do more and better than anyone. So the thing I liked about his photography was, um, like, you know, at that time, it was New Zealand Snowwater and Manual. And New Zealand Snowwater was hammers and crisp shots yep. and Manual was artsy and a little bit grungier, I guess. Yep. And his photography worked in both. You know, like he was really, probably still is, you know, really well-rounded with what he was doing with the camera. Like, never seen a Tim Pierce shot I didn't like. His, um, he had the eye Mm. and he did his thing well. And he did it so well, he's still doing it today. So I think that probably goes goes to show. Yeah. And then what segued into filming, I mean, we we know this because I interviewed him not too long ago about... Yeah. About that, uh, have you got some stories or trips with him that stick out or anything? I think with the, we talked about the other night actually, we were so naive to what we were actually doing, where, you know, when we did, ended up doing MDTV under EngineStumble.com um, is, you know, we're stupid. We want to do the same day turnaround, action sports web series that had never been done before. So we were filming, shooting, doing it all the same day. It was nuts. But for us, it was normal, but we just we had this drive. Um, you know, he was, I think he was actually thinking of going to Wellington to do um, photography or whatever, and he was doing some photos, and I kind of had this thing I was thinking of, and um, it's obviously worked out very well for him, mm. and so it should. He worked his ass off. He was extremely talented, right place, right time, in the right ecosystem for the right skill set, and he crushed. And every time there's been individuals like that, look at where their career paths headed to. Mm. Like, we're talking about, like, 10, 15 years, 15 years ago now, crushing it. Mm, yeah. And I watched not too long ago his um, Will Jackway's interpretation video again. Yep. And then the Winter of Wales, like, after I'd interviewed him, I was like, fuck, I've got to watch all this shit again. And it's like, then you take it back to, well, this was a guy that started out shooting pictures of the Deros hitting in the rail gardens. Mm-hmm. You know, Tim Watson and those dudes I, I mentioned that name a lot because I really liked some of the pictures he took of Tim yeah and it's like wow that's look at where that started and, you know I mean it's about as humble beginnings you know hanging out with your homies taking pictures it's journey mate and then uh, what an awesome journey 100% you know? and um, can we well we mentioned the nznsnowboard.com so let's bring it up now because that was kind of a bit of a, well hang on didn't Tim Pierce also have some online snowboard thing at the time? There was uh, NZ Board, yes. Yeah. Because uh, he, he was doing some skate and snow. I He was in the creation side. 
um, the genesis, if we're going to get into that rabbit hole, was um, I've been creating content. In 2003, I created a website called Ride the World, and it was basically a blog before blogs, and I was doing photos and bits and pieces of crew coming up. We were going from dial-up to broadband internet, and I understood that um, communities would exist around content, and I knew that things would get commercialized on top of that content. Mm. So I understood very clearly that something was going to happen here. Um, then I was competing at the time. We'd gone to, I'd won the New Zealand Billabong Juniors, and I was going to the Billabong Pro over there. And I also, at the same year, was going to the Forum Youngblood World Finals. And I'd been working for another website doing some content, which we won't name, um, for a little bit. And it was in spring, and I'd been working for them, doing a whole bunch of content. Like, it was at the point of, you know, I was uploading the content, shooting the photos, writing the articles. I was also competing. Then I was just, like, I was doing everything, right? And I had a little digital SLR camera that got, that got broken. And I was getting paid, you know, a couple hundred bucks a week, whatever it was, to, to, to do this thing and run the whole thing. And clearly it was an arbitrage of, like, one of their sponsors was paying for the whole season, but I'd do all the content for it. And got to spring. I was up north in t- and um, thinking, I can talk about it now. It's like, you know, this, this is what happened was... I then reached out to get my money through for the last couple of months because I hadn't got the money and I needed to get a new digital camera to take photos to keep doing photos for the web- website. And I reached out and I said, hey, like, just a heads up, like, I need this money so I can buy a camera to do the job for so you can get the photos. And they replied back, oh, yeah, um, actually, uh, we uh, thought this, basically the season had kind of stopped after the burden open, so we're not going to be paying you for the rest. And I'm like well, it's been two months. Maybe you should have flipped and told me that before. And I was like, what do I do? And then a friend of me at the time, um, he said, you know what? You could do your own. Why are you being reliant on him to do it? You can do a platform. Why don't you do your own website? You've already done this Ride the World thing. You've been working for them. They've flipped and just rolled you on this for a couple hundred bucks. You know what you're doing. You know all the people. Why don't you just do it? It's your own platform. And I was like, and once again, out of you know the stubbornness or whatever, I was like, stuff it all right boom so the original genesis was was that now when mm. i had partnered with a friend of mine um who was a who was a um paulus Hidawini, who i grew up with who was my best friend at uh, at intermediate he was in coding did that whole thing and then we started uh, nzsnobble.com in june 2006 and so at the time because magazines were still pretty big you were working pretty harmoniously with that media format still yeah, it was all digital. Yeah, I know desire for print at the time, mm. um, but it was basically uh, online community for content, mm. uh, content creation, exclusive stuff, snow reports, updates, latest news, all snowboarding. So I, I worded that wrong. Do you feel like you complemented the print media? You weren't trying 100%. to take over anything. Shit, no. Yeah, I tried to take over later when I tried to buy them, mm. but that was more commercial thing, which we can get into in a sec. But no, hundred percent. It was like a magazine was coming out two days of the 365 days a year yeah what about the other 366 two days a year mm. yeah but you know um as soon as you create a platform which is content related in an ecosystem with a limited amount of capital you become a target yeah right so I didn't realize I was becoming a target because I was just creating shit trying to support the sport. My whole thing was... So what's an example of being a target though? What, it's just people slagging you off and shit or... Other media outlets who then didn't get into the space early because we got there in one. 
So I turned nznsnowboard.com into a six-figure business within 18, 18 months. Right. Wow. So I just remember like, just about all of us had the nznsnowboard.com yeah. sticker on our board. The know? difference was like, when I looked at the ecosystem, and, I'm, and I'll bring up this, these guys, NZ, uh, snow.co. Snow.co were taking snowboard <laughs> advertisers' money not creating a single bit of content for any snowboarders, not doing anything that was snowboard driven. That's why it was nzsnowboard.com by riders for riders. I wanted content. I wanted support. I wanted events. I wanted things. Every single thing, if you look at what the platform then did, we built Newsweek, uh, which was like uh, weekly uh, news shows and things. We built MDTV, doing them say no turnaround things. We put on events. We did the multi downhill, all the content. We did profiles. We did like, we did all that shit because that was the point because I wanted to grow snowboarding. I took it personal when I'm watching snowboard capital get allocated to people who don't give a shit about snowboarding, who aren't trying to support the sport, who aren't trying to create a single bit of content, but they're happy to take these flipping checks from the snowboard guys. Stuff yeah. them. Yeah. Stuff them. I mean, we were all like, when that came out, you know, obviously I'm still there, but I just remember at Cadrona, like we were all fans. Like we all had the sticker on our board or so you know we, what, were, what, we were all on yeah. it being like, wow, this is fucking Because cool, every day know? it was something new. Yeah, yeah. Every news release I would put up. Every, and this is the sh- my stupidest thing I did was I loved it so much I did everything myself. Yeah, right. I did every single press release that came out. Like I would upload things. It's like stupid, right? But I was like, you know what? We need this. And we started off. Mm. I had a one gigabyte data stick, which I would put into my laptop. And I had a 28.8 kilobyte internet connection. And that's how NZSnowboard.com started. Yeah, was right. uploading pages and stuff from that. Wow. So, you know, and then when the timing worked out perfect, manager was coming into the space. They wanted me as an ambassador. I said, hey, I've got this idea for a show. I knew that we're going to broadband internet. YouTube had started in 06 and we launched the next winter with MDTV in 2007. still a sponsored rider doing this too. Yeah, the whole... Which, to me... It's nuts. To me, gave it a lot more integrity. It's like, cool, well, this guy rides a snowboard and he rides it well enough that these people are giving him shit. Yep. So this is going to be my media outlet. It's kind of like same manual in New Zealand snowboards. Yeah. Like, it was started by snowboarders. Like, I'm going to follow that shit. That's why know? it was nzsnowboard.com by riders for riders. Yeah. The and, entire thing, 100%. And, and I know that I'm not the only one that that resonated with. Like, yep. And we put the, the stickers thing's funny. My, I had a friend of mine, as a quill up in... Uh, Christchurch, who was married to the manager of uh, Cheapskates, and he made stickers. He made me thousands and thousands and thousands of stickers. Every mm. so, why you got those free stickers is because almost every single cent that was coming in to the business, I was printing stickers and sending out to everyone. And put, I, I would have bags like stacks in my thing. Every chairlift I got on, I would put it out and boom, boom, because I understood branding. That's that guerrilla marketing like Grenade did back in the day. Oh, gee, shit. Yeah. But mine was like, I love this. I'm doing this. This is helping a lot of people and I'm having fun. Mm. But it was really interesting as a creator, I would be the salesperson. I'd be the creative to come up with the concept. I'd be the salesperson to go and get the money from it. I'd be the marketer to try and figure out how it would play in. I would own the platform that it would go on. I would do the posting myself. I would help do the edit cut down. I'd get final cut after Tim would do that cut because we do it same day. And then I'd be in it and host it. And I'd have to write on top of it. Like it was so stuffed, but I look at it now and I'm really proud because I was, I was passionate. I was in the zone, but I I will say one thing I, I forgot to say Tony is, 
I had won the New Zealand Billabong Slope Style. I was going over to France and then I won the Forum Youngblood New Zealand going to the World Finals. I knew when that happened in the spring, I knew in November that I was retiring. From snowboarding. From snowboarding and I was going to do the business by when it came, when it came to May, I was out. I'm going to, I said, I'm finishing Billabong. I'm doing to the Forum Youngblood and I told two people. I told Nate Hodson in France yeah. when we were over there and I told Mitchie Brown and they both said I was crazy. I what, said... What year was this? End of... Oh five, so I but you were still sponsored by Burton way after that, right? After that, so that comes next because I wasn't sponsored as a writer. Oh, was this right? So am I still thinking about Solomon times? Yeah, so right. I was in Solomon, and so this, so now we're going back there. So mm. no one knew except two people, Nate Hodson and Mitchie Brown, at the end of 05 and Leroy, that I was going to quit snowboarding and I was going to start NZ Snowboard.com. No one knew. I knew six months before I'd done it. Like the whole thing was chestnut checkers Mm. so i go over to billabong eat shit fun trip done i go to tahoe and i go in the form young blood world finals Mm. i get silver i win a silver medal and i come back to new zealand everyone's like holy shit so before we go any further can we talk about what the forum young blood yeah thing was so the forum young blood they basically went everywhere in the world and did a slope style competition. They took the winner of every single country and they did a global competition. The winner got a shot. They, the win- so the judges were Devin Walsh, JP Walker, and a couple other local judges, whatever. Mm. Um, and then if you win, you win a spot on the on the rookie team. That's pretty cool. It was super cool. Yeah. Um, and so the, this is the great thing. I went into that comp in Tahoe's at Sierra. They paid for my flight over. I was pumped. And at the time I was on... Um, retainers and bits and pieces from other stuff is I knew in that competition it was my last comp mm. I was like I'm out I, so I, I just rode with freedom I didn't care I literally had all the fun in the world got sort of a sweet and then it was interesting because after I did ncsnowboard.com so I came back everyone thinks I'm going to blow up and I'm like peace I'm out I'm starting this business thing everyone's like what the fuck you know everyone thought I was crazy and I didn't go into any more comps I didn't do anything I was I was hosting the show I was creating the content blah blah mm. then two years later uh, the Vulcan peanut butter rail jam at the end of 07 the setup looked so amazing it was spring we'd had a massive season it looked fun I was like you know what dude I'm just going in I'm, go- I'm going in I'm out of retirement for one day I have to ride this thing it looks so fun all my friends are here it's right this the wall shed mm. let's flip and go and I flip and won it right. so you were still riding even though you were retired I was still riding and everyone gave me shit because they knew I was good enough but I was choosing not to because I was trying to do the business yeah and what was crazy is two years later I hadn't done any comps hadn't done anything I was all in business but I was still riding for fun I do the comp against everyone and I I win half the people came up to me at the end of it and and were like holy shit Rebet I didn't know you snowboarded and the other half said holy shit Rebet I didn't know uh, no, holy shit, Rebet, I forgot that you could snowboard. And the other half were like, holy shit, Rebet, I didn't know you snowboarded. And the fact that people, half the people that were with me didn't actually realize that I could snowboard, that validated that my business was legit, which meant I was getting traction on the commercial side without people feeling guilted into supporting it because I was a good writer. Mm. And so instantly I was like, you know what? I've just transitioned from person to platform. I'm good. And that's that thing of the Jay-Z thing, right? Like, I ain't a business man. I'm a business man. It's, it's positioned from, I'm a businessman, like an individual. I'm a business. Mm. I'm a platform. And then, ironically enough, 
when you're sponsored by, as a writer, you get paid from two people. When you're on the platform, you get paid from 20. Hmm. So right. do the math. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And is there a legacy or a reflection on, oh, before we, no, before, I'm going to take that back. We sort of touched on a couple of challenges, but was there a specific challenge that was presented to you with nzsnowwood.com that you overcame that you feel was like a milestone thing? You know? No, I, for, for years, I, I was 20 starting this business. I just want to be taken seriously as a business guy. And by the time I felt like I was legit enough, I realized that the people I was trying to impress didn't mean shit. And then I felt kind of sorry. I was trying so hard to get, you know, there was this one, I won't say the wholesaler, but there was this one wholesaler who never backed me, never supported me, would proactively do shit, kind of sketchy to come up against me and whatever. And I remember getting to a spot where I was so frustrated with it, I pulled up on him at their work to confront the dude about why he was such a cock. (laughs) And ironically enough, he wasn't there that day. But it was more the point of, Someone, I'm building this to support snowboarders. Why don't you support me help support what snowboarders? What are they doing to throw spanners in the works? Uh, uh, I don't really want to get oh, into it. Well, but don't have to. No, no, it's, it's fine. It's fine. But it was just more like um, uh, they were, yeah, just, yeah, we're, we're um, proactively not supportive to the mm. endeavors of what we're after. But we're waving the flag like they gave a shit to support the oh, riders, right. but we're not. And I was like, yeah. huh, all right, cool, bro, next. <laughs> so anyway, but, you know, these things happen, and then that's when you, didn't re- you don't realize that you're actually a threat to some of these crew. So how it plays out is I'd always thought Phil Erickson, the magazine, was the best thing in the world. I was like, shit, yeah, we did our trick tips with them, whatever. But then I saw where the game was going. I was pretty simple. I said, hey, online's becoming bigger, and we're putting out shit every day instead of people reading a magazine six months later to find out who won the Burden Open that last year, they're finding out that day and they've already got a video on it. Hmm. Shouldn't the conversation be here, we join forces, the tier one great epic content polished pieces go into the magazine, everything else creates the online blogs and the videos and the content to hype up the sales of the thing. So I, I never really read contest shit in magazines. But that's anyway, how you used to you get know? them out, that the game had hmm. changed. So long story short, I tried to buy New Zealand Snowboarder magazine multiple times. Mm. And I don't think, like, I respect Phil for the legacy for the 20 years. I get that. But you didn't, there was no, there was a lack of strategy where it was very clear what was happening, which was online was building momentum, but we still need the polish. So mm. why would you not join forces? And then so I, what ended up happening was um, Hamish Ackland and, uh, that was doing NZ Skier magazine, who they bought off Phil, I just sold them the back end to the code of nzsnowboard.com so they could do NZ Skier. Then they combine their magazine with the online, they package it up together, and then they can go to sponsors and sell them both in one hit so they can, they can join forces of the value. Instead of going, oh, I need to do a half page here for this episode, but then I'm going to do this here. It created division, mm-hmm. and I was in a game where I'm like, guys, we need a 1 plus 1 equals 3, which is why I never, because I was going to launch NZ Snowboard, the magazine, to take down Phil. But it wasn't the right move because it's a dick move when we should be working together. Which is why I kept trying to buy him and I just left him. I was like, all right, bro, you do you, man. Mm. Like, But then as well, he was my hero I was looking up to. Think how that feels to an older guy who you look up to when the young buck rolls up trying to buy you. Yeah. Probably doesn't feel too good. Yeah. Right? And, and, I, and I understand and I respect that. But I'm also 
a fucking savage government's corporate shit. And I'm like, guys, we're losing revenue now into the ecosystem because we're splitting up the value. And then all of a sudden, when I've got this amount of views, I got this many page hits, I got this much content I'm putting out, and you know, there's mm. not as much accountability on the magazine side. Where'd the leverage go to? Yeah. And so that it, it was really, it was sad because I, and then I tried to buy Snow.co. I tried to buy Surf.co, Snow.co. I tried to, I tried a bunch of shit. I flew up to Wellington in 2008 after Phil said no, and I had a meeting with me, Dave Reed, Hamish Eklund, and Caleb Smith from uh, Manual. And no, no one knows this, but stuff it, I'll tell, it. I'll tell you now. I said, look, we all want Mountain Dew's money. Great. Mm. Mountain Dew, when they decide they're going to allocate money into the action sports ecosystem, they go, oh, we need to do some shit for these young bucks. All right, cool. Where do young men hang out? Oh, they do... Uh, flipping action sports shit all right cool so they come into the action sports right then they're like okay what do they do oh they do some events or they go skate surf snow wake wake moto bmx all right cool now what do they do there oh there's like uh, two websites here for surf and there's a magazine here it's like very scattered right mm. so when you're mountain dew or coke or whatever it may be that's trying to come into the ecosystem you've got to talk to 50 different people to get the shit you need done and how do you know the difference between the nuances between a manual magazine and an nz snowboarder magazine if you're some suit and Auckland getting paid mm. 60 grand a year to buy shit you don't know mm. you don't know the nuances of how the packaging and all those things works right so my idea then was how about we join forces we combine skate bike uh, ski and snow to start with mm. surf can come later maybe if we want we share the back end to nzsnowboard.com to everyone Manual splits, manual takes skate, they take thing, basic credit consolidation of a action sports collective, mm. ASC. Then we get a third party non-conflicting sales crew in Auckland to sell the whole shit. So then they walk into Mountain Dew and say, hey, look, we've got, you know, 100,000 um, prints, we've got a million views, we do this across skate surf, skate, snow, ski, and mountain bike. Done. Action sports in a package. Sweet. Is that what uh, became Frontline Media? Airtime. It became Airtime. Because then what happened is basically they said no for a variety of reasons. And I respect it because they got the vision and stuff. Mm. But commercially, that was the play because then you could have done all the things that came around it. So then what ended up happening is um, then I was like, well, I have to do this now because I could see what was happening in the market. I could see after the global recession where the dollars were going. I can see all the funds getting extracted out to Australia. I can see all the resource and the marketing budget shrink. So when everything shrinks and consolidates, where's that space that you're going to go to? So I was like, you know, we need to elevate from NT Snowball to Action Sports. So airtime came from that. And I don't want to step on their toes in terms of the the um, print stuff, but I could go above it, which is why we launched the TV show. Do you suppose with the, just to go back to the print, say like, New Zealand snowboarder manual it's maybe they're just protective of their babies or something so something that they created from scratch and, and I respect that you know but you play something. this thing out with the opportunity that happened and then I went above on top with mainstream because then all of a sudden I go alright well I'm not going to step on the other because out of respect I respect those dudes for what they did and the, the spaces they had all I was saying is hey look this is a no brainer commercially to bring more revenue into the sport Let's do this and proactively go to market so we can bring more capital in to help spread this thing out. So my game plan on it was, then I'll go to TV. So I go airtime, we create the snow show, we create airtime, we consolidate all the bits and pieces, and then that went off to the races and we, did ha- we had a half hour action sports TV show. We did a whole bunch of bits and pieces. So, um, and that was behind the scenes of it, you know, but then when you're, 
flipping what 21 22 years old trying to do these acquisitions and shit it's probably not the nicest feeling mm. you know like i even sat down like so i the mark and bill from cheapskates who i absolutely love and adore and they gave me my first job i owe them everything i sat down with them in 2008 i said hey cheapskates is a franchise model right so they owned like four of like 13 of them these offices everywhere in bits and pieces and i said to them i had a come to jesus sit down and i said team do you feel that online retail may be a thing in the future they're like yes do you feel you've got the current infrastructure set up to be able to to meet the incoming demand for what's going to happen in e-commerce no all right i suggested in 2008 to mark brown at cheapskates that they should take cheapskates crushers cheapskates the palms cheapskates the needed and cheapskates the need at wanaka combine them all together change the name of cheapskates to something new and then launch an online site on top of it so then you can go vertical and like leave the legacies of the others because all that happens is if you're going to launch online how do you sell a skateboard between 13 different owners that are all at the table when they're stretched from whangarei all the way down to invercargill it's like you can't do it Mm. so you're essentially handbrake by the commercial structure of your entity not to be able to win and that's mm. not going to help action sports right so they said you know we've got 20 years of loyalty but I, was like, I get all that so this was when i was younger and i i wasn't as forceful i was trying to do it respectfully but it's really difficult for me because i could see these moves that people i looked up to were not the right moves but it wasn't my place to go in their lane mm. and so i let i was like I, I was like you know what i'm gonna do my tv thing i'm gonna do that so that's some of the things that were happening behind because then what ended up happening is every brand that would come to nz snowboard they would they would because i would have these great relationships with them they would say look i've got ten thousand dollars for this year where should i spend what should i do and who should i sponsor so a lot of the writers won't know that from 2007 through to 11 for about four years five years I was navigating and negotiating deals to get people hooked up all through the spot to give them more cash. Right. And I'll never say who, like, but but the, you can ask any marketing manager if I had a chat and they, they could talk about whatever, but I would knew who was popping, who wasn't, who needed support, who didn't, and, and I was helping literally shift and navigate these riders to different brands to get more money. Right. right. And I never took, and this is one thing I, I, I wanted to talk about on this, is I never took a cent from a single one of any of those deals because I helped my friends out. And I lost a very close friend of mine because they thought that I did and someone got into the ear out of jealousy oh, thinking yeah. that I was screwing them on a deal and they made me show them the invoice. Wow. And I and, and I and I had to let it go. Yeah. And it sucks, but it's true because basically what happens when you look at a shrinking market, when there's less capital going around, there's less travel budgets going, people start to get desperate and then they see me doing my thing. They're like, oh, well, he's doing good over there, but what, you know, yeah. so you know that's when you know c- currency reveals character and unfortunately I-, I lost some relationships because out of either jealousy or whatever um mm. and it feels pretty shitty when you know i just i like to think that i do good things for my friends and um you know it's potentially not reciprocated in some yeah. ways and how long was the ended snowboarded in air time when did that all finish up it's a i haven't talked about this publicly but i knew that the game was changing after basically when burden kind of went down when billabong and all that got consolidated up and went over to australia so you say burden you like burden nz nz yeah, yeah sorry so when um 
after the GFC, a whole bunch of money got sucked out of the ecosystem. So I knew we had to go from snow to action sports. Mm. As we went to action sports, I went straight to TV. I had a TV and Dead Z deal, uh, uh, another deal. One of the big media, I knew that the only way for us to survive for action sports was to partner with one of the big media players. They've got a sales team of 300. They've already got every single big corporate in the mix. They want to get the uh, young males aged between 18 to 24 for Lynx body spray or flipping Monster Ninja, whatever the shit is. Uh, I knew we needed a corporate, I needed, we needed a media play. And I could have gone down the route of doing tours or merchandising or opening a snowboard store and whatever. I'd actually been, a quick segue, I had been pulled aside on a non-disclosure agreement in 2008 to talk about launching a competitor to Torpedo 7 before they came through because they were wholesaling. They were um, parallel importing and it didn't work out for whatever reasons and then look what happened then. Then they come through, do their big thing and whatever. Um, funny enough, one of my future mentors ended up being the guy that helped pull that deal together, which we can talk about at a different stage. But um, the NZ Snowboard thing was we'd extended up to action sports. I got... a I then had front so airtime was the action sports then front side was the video production side um so we ended up doing so for context we would do uh we were going from uh more into the digital space people were spending less on million dollar tv commercials than they were doing facebook and youtube videos and cool shit we were right in that sweet spot and so we would do the digital activation stuff for you know viv clico or asb or a heineken or a range rover or a sony or whatever it may be so we were essentially like a, a cool creative agents for, for content done with the same backing of the airtime and at the time justin smith who was an absolute weapon and amazing good human i've worked with pablo and um and vaughn and jack monroe and all these people that had done great things they were also in this mix but i was like we had to elevate or else we die so one of the big media companies who will go name nameless um we're going to make a big play into this content space and i said hey i'll sell you frontside you give me a head of video role for the entire ecosystem and you buy airtime and you get your sales team to do it and we do a rev share i'm in because basically saying let your sales team of 300 package up this entire action sports thing nzstumble.com is fed forever like this whole thing's mm. done right we're good and uh we're gonna offer me a role so then i get essentially two acquisitions i get a full-time role so i'm like ready to rumble and i was only 26 27 at the time um and it's like big billion dollar shit you know and so i'm thinking oh my gosh this is the best thing of all time blah blah long story short i signed a non-disclosure agreement with this big media agency i got taken off the market commercially to talk to anyone else and it was a block strategy for me to do that so they could try and list this business publicly it didn't quite work ceo got fired i got steamrolled got taken out of the market wow so that's what ended NZ that's what ended, NZ, and, and i, I was always wondering what happened there. yeah so we had transformed from nc stumbled to airtime and then we'd consolidated all the all the facebook pages all into one we had the whole thing lined up they were going to do it because then we're going to surf and all sorts of bits and pieces um across all action sports and we were then going to off the back of that do they had an event some, so it's going to be the Airtime Action Sports Awards, which would be like the Hellburgs for Action Sports, mm. Snowboard of the Year, because we'd already been doing nzsnowboard.com Rider of the Year. We've yeah. been doing all these things. So basically I'm saying, I've got the blueprint, this shit works, and if it's worth six figures here, it's going to be worth seven to eight figures there. Yeah. So use my skill set, pull me in, you do two acquisitions and done, and then I'm off to the races. Mm. And, um, and I, f I still have a lot of resentment for what happened because i feel that uh nz snowboarding needed something mm. the dollars all disappeared and i knew we needed the corporate dollars and we needed the media company for the corporate dollars 
and then I got played strategically and that never would have happened now yeah um, but at the time I was naive and I wanted it so I felt like a lot of people down um, and the legacy that we'd built but you know people things always pop up and people do their different bits and pieces mine was just like I wanted more I wanted more people to snowboard in New Zealand mm. I wanted more riders to do good I wanted more Kiwis to do awesome to get inspired and stoke others and we're in a better spot now where we've got Kiwis that are doing that with the Zoe's mm. and the bits and pieces and, and that's all good mm. so uh, in regards to do you think there's a legacy that with NewZealandSnowboard.com and airtime that you can sort of see going on now or like I'm at a different phase in my life now where I'm really cognizant of the fact that I'm temporarily relevant mm. right as big as you get for the moment you know, it's that thing from Jay-Z, would you rather be a trend or you'd rather be Ralph Lauren? Mm. Would you rather be hot for the moment in the hot space or do you want to last forever? Do you want to, you know, to think long game with it? And it's long game, not short game. It's chess, not checkers. Um, I was temporarily relevant in New Zealand snowboarding where I had a skill set at the right time with the right technology, with the right people, with the right talent, with the right crew, with the right vibe, with the right intent, with the right partners that did some good shit. That time is gone. I'm now, it's maybe it's like Fat Rebet, not Fat Tony, maybe it's Skinny Tony, Fat <laughs> Rebet. Um, you know, I got two kids, married for 10 years. I'm in a totally different headspace. It gave me everything. It will continue to do good things. But the framework and the blueprint was still there. And the bit that maybe disappoints me maybe the most is not a single person in the snowboard game reached out to try and take the reins. Not a single person in the snowboard game really kind of gave a shit. Because if they did the same way I did, don't you think the play would have been how do we build it back up what was the blueprint you used blah 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 like but everyone's on their own buzz doing their own thing Mm. so I was surprised that no one tried to take and people have you know taken shots their own bits and pieces but I think snowboarding needed at the time and and I don't know if you you do or don't know but we helped launch designate the New Zealand Snowboard Union NZSBU because NZSBA went down there was nothing there we started the NZSBU and there's like me, Bevan Hall, Nadia Ellis was on the board, Eddie Sperrin was on the board, Sam Lee was on the board, Ruben Yeoman was on the board. And, and I basically created, as part of this, back to your idea about my, my conversation about pipeline, Tony, was I said, we need to build up this pipeline at the bottom. So let's flip and do that. And so mm-hmm. we launched the New Zealand Snowboard Union. We got cash in to help um, a bunch of admin and, and, and bottom section stuff. But, you know, we got... $30,000 in high performances against seven figures or say eight figures is like, well, do the flipping math. What, what do you think is going to happen with it? So that was our attempt at that. We had a good crew and we just wanted to admit, we wanted to empower riders that didn't want to go to the Olympics to know that they were still relevant. So Nick mm. Brown was on there. Jacob Coy was on there. Will Jackways was on there. Which is something you know? that Carlos touched on in his interview a little bit. Yeah. Like, and JJ as well. I think they were probably just after the NZSBU of like, yep. Oh, I wish I knew that there was another pathway that wasn't the Olympics sort of thing. And Yeah, these things yeah, happen. So. Like, you know, it's all part of it. It's a great journey, but I don't, f- I feel that, um, you know, when some, when the person has the real authentic drive that's truly purposeful and passionate about it, they'll do something. Mm. I'm going to swing it back around the snowboarding a little bit. Sure. Uh, one of my favorite um, pictures I've ever seen of you in yep. the magazines um, I, I, it's one of my, I drive past it every day on the way to work. Oh. <laughs> it's um, one of those rare moments where snow ended up in town and the McDougal, the wooden rail on McDougal Street got taken down. The double, the, the double, double tank. Double tank. Yeah. 
it's f- I drove past it today and I felt the same thing in 2007 we got a snowfall right early season mm. that 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 double kink had just been set up and I knew that the first person to do a shot on it is getting a double page spread New Zealand snowboarder and as soon as it's shot it's been shot mm. as soon as this thing's up and so a, I think me Leroy Christensen Jesse Wilkinson were there we had shot up at um uh, episode two, I believe, at Snowpark mm. opening day, which I think was June thirteenth, two thousand seven, I think. And then on the way back in, it was there. And in my head, I kind of knew I had it because Leary was regular, and the way to shoot it, I knew was landscape, and it would be shown his back. I knew I was goofy, but you can't just do a fitty fitty. Well, you get a one shot with a fifty, I guess. My, so I was like, you know what? And so basically we had a double page spread. I did like back 50, um, front one to switch 50 on, through it, through the kink. And every time I've gone past it since, I think of it. And it's kind of crazy because now there's not a chance in hell to go anywhere near that thing. Mm. But it was pretty awesome, amazing to do. You know, you do these things, you have these moments and it happens. So I need to find that picture and put it up because people don't believe me when I tell them it's been chipped. Oh, yeah. Now, you know. Oh mate, be like, oh mate, that was so back in my day, yeah, two thousand and seven. <laughs> tell that, us another story, Granddad Tony. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, that's true. But you know, we, we're mm. fortunate enough to do that, and you know, we did the snowmobile throwing We brought sleds over from from the states with Pablo. We did, you know, that's we right. You guys were sled um, to the summit. There was an awesome um, article and manual about yeah that. Yeah. So I had this vision. I want to bring sleds over. Spates was launching the beer called Summit. They asked me, they, they said, hey, you've got some ideas around something? I said, wow, funny you say that. There's these things called Skidoo Summits and there's the sled to the summit and we could bring snowmobiles to New Zealand and we could do a content place and you get some content. Like, yeah, cool, done. So they paid for the whole thing. So they paid to bring the sleds in the yeah. country? They paid to bring the sleds over. I'd been sledding stuff in the States with all that, which was cool. Brought it over with Pablo Azica. Here it was a, they were um, 05 Summit 800s, 151 track, two and a half inch lugs. And I put a little, a little uh, thing on it so I could cook my food as I was cranking away and charging it. But brought them over, extended handlebars, side racks, the whole thing. So we got to do that as well. Awesome. So I remember just that article and manual that Pablo took some pictures. And um, again, one of my favourites was um, your Ollie. And then I think Benny Bright had a sick method show yep. as well. And yeah, Joram. Oh, that's a name we haven't talked about. It's fucking Joram. I've Jordan got... Makuru and Connor Harding, two two Halawanaka Groms. Okay, I'm going to tell you a story. Let's let's go. So, uh, and and I'm not going to say who was what in the story, but uh, there was a, th- a th- idea we had around called in 2010 called Project Project 210, where Slopestyle was going to get into the Olympics. They could potentially get the go. So Bevan was coaching Leroy, Connor, and Joram, trying to give it a crack. We get into there, come to the states. One of them gets injured, got to bail home. I just with met my soon-to-be potential wife, uh, then uh, now wife, and on our second date on the way home, three of them were t- sharing this room by themselves for like three months. It was just like horrendous, right? These th- three young senders trying to send it. Um, and then uh, one of them got injured, had to go home. They're super bummed out, really, really dark on it. And so on the way to the airport, it's like two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon, I say, hey, you've been you three boys have been locked up for a while and how would you feel about maybe go to the strip club <laughs> <laughs> so so my me and my wife's second date or then girlfriend second wife with her brother 
Leroy, Connor, and Joram, we go to the strippies. <laughs> in San Francisco, it's centerfolds on the way out. We don't know what's going on. It's flipping carnage. Uh, we go in, clearly they're underage. Like, clearly. Um, this lovely lady comes over. She's about five foot two. Her name is Parker. She's looking lovely. Well, like San Fran, like lovely for 2 p.m. on a Tuesday. And I say, hey, look, buddy's upset. He's going home. You know, take him out back and, you know, just, you know, make him less, less sad. <laughs> so I go, he disappears. They come back. Whole big thing happens. All pr- pretty funny. And then uh, one of the people that, that had, and so, and then, uh, this was in March, and then obviously tax season comes through April, May. I get a phone call from the accountant. Hey, Robert, just a quick heads up, quick question. I see that you, there was an expense here, and it's from Centerfolds in San Francisco. I didn't really know what it was, so I Googled it. So I'm guessing, was this a client lunch? Correct. Okay, say no more. <laughs> Hangs up <laughs> and done. But um, the, yeah, the boys, weapons, good, solid, uh, love them good chance and i just felt like big bro to them i was just trying to you know once again help the crew do some stuff <laughs> well so we'll leave that one um that one there we sort of touched on it before but how did the writing for burton come about so after um nzsnowball.com i'd stopped competing and i said hey i was just going to look to retire out uh, i got reached out to from the crew saying hey um would you be interested in uh swapping over I went in to do media stuff because I was, you know, media presenting bits and pieces. I went and saw Guy Alti and I said, hey, I've got concerns about this because people are going to call me a sellout mm. if I come over to Burden. At the time, Burden really wasn't really popping like it, like it did end up being. And then Guy goes to me, oh, like, you know, what are they saying? He's like, oh, you know, like not keeping it real. I'm selling out to the big corporate and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, okay. And um, say one of these writers, like, who do they ride for? Whatever. I don't know, like Quicksilver, I can say. So, oh, okay, cool. Well, um, who owns Burden? I said, oh, Jake. You met Jake? I said, yeah. Said, Who owns Quicksilver? I uh, think it's public? Okay. Does, do they snowboard? These shareholders? Where, do they, where are they? New York. Huh. Just Jake snowboard? How many days a year? 100. Huh. So you're telling me that you're worried about people who ride for, I don't know, a DC or a Quicksilver or a Fippin, whoever it may be is, um, or, or a Sportive or a K2, whatever it is, um, calling you a seller when you ride f- are going to ride for a company that's owned by a snowboarder that snowboards 100 days a year that snowboards but they keep it real and they ride for a surf brand which is owned by shareholders in a country that have nothing to do with the sport they don't actually care and you're telling me that you're the seller mm. and I was like huh and he really helped change my mindset around it. So I came in, I, I helped to this, um, the Burden rookie team, Leon McKay was on it, Alex Harper, a few, few Jay Walsh was in there. Um, and then did that thing, which was, which is super cool. And so, um, then ironically enough, cause I tried to get off, uh, I tried to get off, uh, um, Adidas is they told me, Hey, you're actually more valuable to us because if you do media shit, then if you ride, and I got paid twice as much. I got more money to not compete when I was just doing my media shit than I was when I was competing. So I'm getting paid more money. I've got the platform getting paid for Penny Run. I don't need to do anything to risk myself. I'm having fun with all the crew. I'm like, done. 
and so that's how I then got with the Burton crew and then I got to obviously shoot with them I wasn't competing but I was having fun and mm. then after the point where my business was kind of going well enough and that usually every brand drops a rider mm. I took out uh, Jay Smith Colby and Alex for a dinner down at um, down at Trout Bar I think it was and I said hey thanks so much for everything you've done for me I appreciate the journey I've been on but it's time for me to move on into the next and I essentially dropped my sponsors I dropped them <laughs> and ironically enough as I've kept the exactly same I've kept the same pair of pants and the same snowboard a 151 nug a 150 nug for the last 10 years and I've read that since <laughs> damn dropping yeah you're dropping your sponsors pretty much yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah well I didn't need them and I was good mm. but I felt I don't want to be the guy that's all washed up that's all injured trying to milk on to get free shit mm. I don't need free shit. I don't care. I love it so much that it's not fear on you. Let me just get out of the way. Mm. And so out of respect for that, that's what I did. And sort of get out of the way so the new guys can come in. Totally. Sort of thing. Um, who was in the high ground crew then? You sort of mentioned a few of them then. Sonny Fisher. Yeah. Joel Nickel. Mark Nicklin. Uh, obviously, um, Alti. Uh, Jay Smith. A whole bunch of crew. It was good, it was mm. good to have Matty Proctor end up doing stuff for Forum. Because, mm, I mean, Higher Ground was huge. You know, it was a Forum. 100%. All of that stuff. Um, you got a good Guy Alti story for us. I mean, I met him in his first... When I, when I had my big sit down with him, he just sat me down and he said, Robert, what's your BHAG? I was like, BHAG? What's your BHAG? Big, hairy, audacious goal with the company, with whatever. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. He's like, nah, think bigger. Ah. I said things like, nah, think bigger. Huh? Nah, think bigger. You know, and I, he hates it, but I would call him like the CEO, the chief entertainment officer. <laughs> and he is. Mm. He, was the, he was the driving force in the heart of that, and I was stoked that he's got close. He was at my wedding. I was I mean, stoked that I could be a part of it. He was the man. He, I mean, he is entertaining, to say yeah, the least. 100%. And, um, and, uh, <laughs> but they are one of the first crew that backed me, and I'll always have their back. Yeah. And did that. I'll always have Guy Alti's back. Mm. and Ruben Yeoman's back mm. Ruben got me to Japan Alti had my back into the business game mm. and did that move um, before you bailed out from Burton did that move from a higher ground sponsorship to an international sort of thing uh, yeah ended up being on like kind of Burton International for a little bit through a plug and I was on the website and bits and pieces mm. but I don't think I was a writer right I was a a personality who could do a front seven mm. <laughs> like I mean, I wasn't there double corking. I'm not flopping, beating Sean White. I mean, like, yeah, I did some cool shit. Don't get me wrong. Like, you can Google it, whatever. I was good, but I wasn't great. Mm. I loved what I was doing. I was having fun. I was very strategic. And there's some times I could do some gangster shit now and again. But, like, I wasn't blowing anyone's mind with the dope shit. Yeah. But I loved it. Yeah. And I was enjoying it. And I think that's the main point. Ah, sweet. And um, we were talking about Guy Alti and the entertaining. And um, speaking of which, I just remember him emceeing uh, the mini pipes. I mean, <laughs> oh, holy geez. shit. So, I'm glad you bring that up. Yeah. The genesis of that was me, Jody Blatchley, and Mad Dog. Mm. And we were frustrated seeing all these people doing these crazy double corks, but people losing the soul of what the sport was about because it got to gymnastics. Mm. So we did the antithesis of that with the piss take with the mini pipe world champs, which is now up to like year 10, mm. who Dogger has now driven and taken charge with the soul and 
purpose of that thing mm. and every touch point is him but on the first year we basically advertised no skiers we bought pallet we bought paint guns what we didn't realize with the paint guns the paintball guns was the pallets and the snow freeze and become like concrete bullets <laughs> i'm not saying who may or may have shot some young skiers but their parents were not proud and went up and they caused an issue and i'm not saying it's guy Alti's fault but he was there <laughs> um and and it was so i i love the fact that that thing exists i love the fact that something so simple and easy connects a five-year-old to a 50-year-old mm. i love the fact that it's got legacy almost it might be now new zealand's continually running longer snowboard competition i love the fact that it won't probably hopefully ever stop and i'm extremely proud of the, the the drive that mad dog has kept keeping it through to keep the polish and the 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 soul of it live and I mean, it gets talked about in just about every episode for good reason it but, should because yeah. it proves our point which was snowboarding's got super crazy and this double triple quad cork shit which no one can relate to but how rad is it to dress up and have some fun with your friends in the mm. in the sun or the sleep having a, having a sausage and flipping trying to do some hand plants under the lip and a little slash I mean, my, that's snowboarding. The first mini pipe world champs will always be my favourite one. Yep. And it was just there was no, there was no format. Everyone was riding, and everyone walked away with a prize or, or some shit. You know. By design, and, if we wanted it to be the most make no sense whatsoever to help as many people as possible, it's like, oh yeah, cool. Whoever does that gets free shit, and we just mm. unload the whole thing. And there's been certain sponsors would have really stepped through for, for years. Like Solomon's one of the ones from day one. Boom. Mm. And they're the, in the entire time. That event continues to help be the beating heart of what the sport, where it was and where it can get back to. Mm. But it's very tricky for... It's, well, yeah. It was rad. Like the, the one last year was awesome. Like you literally see like four generations, maybe even five yep. generations of of New Zealand snowboarders and you know like you know you got I don't know the young guys like AJ Ro- smashing it Holly Brunton Rocco Rocco I mean I, 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 how cool it'd be if Holly and Q showed up like holy shit you look back at the videos yeah. from 10 years ago and you see Rocco when he's like 3 or some mm. shit it's mm. like fuck but it's rad like this last one you had Ollie Burke Rion Morland snacking yep. for a couple but then you had Rocco as well and this generation of yes. the, the Rocco generation. It's a reunion, mate. Will and Marcus, Dylan yep. was there, like Jude Bray's around. Yep. It's, it's a rad time, man. And um, we say it in a few episodes, man. If you're not there, you're kind of blowing it. Agree. It's the, and yeah. like it's the anti-Olympics, but even for Olympians. Mm. You know, so I got to... I emceed because I did a whole bunch of the MC stuff for the Billabong Slope Style got the MC with P Digs and this and that but when the Olympics we um, got to uh, did the Vancouver ones so I got to MC and commentate the Olympics so mm. I'm like I understand national loyalty and cool shit and goals I got that but how cool is it when you see multi-generations all in the same spot shredding a flipping mm. 12 foot stunt ditch for fun with their friends in spring it's That's like rad like seen like I'm going to talk about him again but like Will dropping in busting out some decent ears 
and then taking Lillian down with him. Yeah. And Bodhi. It's like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And, so, you know, I've got a, two daughters now, three and four. Took my four-year-old. I've been taking them up the hill and stuff. And this year I got to, you know, watch my four-year-old do a couple of little turns and go straight. I was more stoked for that 20 seconds than the last 20 years of snowboarding myself. Yeah. Changing right. your headspace to see that next gen is the dopest shit mm. ever. And it's cool as, you know, part of the structure. I can kind of see that as well. Speaking of generations and shit, can't sort of take talk about last year without Tim fucking Jackways is back in there too. Fucking still going as high as ever, man. So he should be. Yeah, it was so cool. I want to see a doubles run with Will and TJ. Hey, just going down. hey boys, I hope you're listening. I would love say. to see that. You mentioned emceeing comps, and I'm going to hopefully this is going to work. I've got a question from Stefan Godman. Yeah. Who's uh, MB Media, MB Media House. Oh. Yo, Rubier, would you like to enlighten us about some of the greatest snowboarding commentary of a park run featuring Mark McMorris for Sean White? <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay, stuff it, let's do it. <laughs> In 2015 at the X Games, I got ridiculously drunk with Butters, Kuralt, Sam Lee, Manu Gallagher, and I'm missing someone. Frank Wells, and I think I'm missing one. Anyway. Sounds like Benny Bright should have been in the mix. Benny Bright was here as well with Tora because we were with her <laughs> the night before. Um, and... Mark McMorris had beaten Sean White and it was the first time Sean ever lost at Slopestyle. This was the transition. And I got drunk and thought it would be funny to do a voiceover of Mark McMorris and Sean White, the two runs next to each other. I remember this. I did it drunk, released it, and I woke up the next morning and it had gone everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere. Everyone had seen this thing. And basically this thing blew up. It was super viral. It's basically... Me doing the voiceovers of Sean, Bud Keen. Bud Keen? Was his, that's coach so, name? Yeah, 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 Bud. Mark McMorris, the whole thing. It's like, it's a three minute clip. And I hope no one finds it because it's so gnarly. But I had felt then guilted because I'd done it. I saw Bud King years later and I came up to him. I was like, look, dude, you don't know who I am, but I just want to. He, he, we reckon he's actually from the, uh, the opens and stuff. I said, do you remember the video clip that came out at X Games when Sean lost to Mark? And he was like, yep. And he was not happy about it. And I was like, okay, I just want to tell you to face. I just want to be upfront. Cause I always like to be transparent. Um, I did that. And he looked at me and he goes, are you shitting me? And I was like, no, I did that. He was like, dude, that was bright. And he starts laughing this whole thing. And because years later, it would pass. He'd stop. And, and I did the same thing to Mark McMorris. I pulled Mark aside and I said, hey, bro, do you remember this thing? He's like, yeah. It was actually me. He was like, holy shit, that was the funniest thing. It was this cool thing. But uh, if someone could find it, don't send it to me but it is probably three minutes of the most hilarious commentary of of it and i would get told off when i'd mc because i was a writer and there was a delay in the sound system but i could already pre-tell expression half pipe runs what they were already going to do before they did it and i would just say it before they even did it and then i got told off by the judges because then i was like predicting shit before it happened before they'd even done it but oh yeah front save oh yeah back because you, know, you just sort of see it um so i, I, learned, I learned a lot through that as well but so, so where were those x games uh, it was, was in that? Aspen. Oh, right. Yep, and then we went over um, for that. I know why. I was working for Ryan McDermott that that winter yep. in Colorado. Yep. And um, 
I think I heard about it when he came back. And, he would have, because uh, he was waxing at Sean's board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah. um, it's been a big ride, mm. a long ride, So, but ha- I've, I've, I've enjoyed it. How did you... When you were saying you were commentating the X Games, was that for... Uh, no, no. I was I commentated the Olympics. Olympics. Was that internationally? or who? Uh, yeah. Who? I got flown back from Vancouver. I was in the States. I got flown back from Vancouver to here. And I did it out of um, the uh, Sky offices. So I did Winter Games with them in 09 with Ed Lee, who's a yeah. legend. And then I'd always been seeing with like... Um, uh, Josh Clark who was super funny. I did it with Jay Smith, Zinny Sinclair. I got to do Billabong with P Diggs. I got to the open with. It was wild. So mm. I got to live and be part of this thing, even though I wasn't competing, and it was pretty amazing. Oh man, I mean Zinny, Zinny and Josh Clark. Yeah. Imagine a freestyle battle. It was. That would be incredible. It, it may. <laughs> I, I got to. They were. They were the. They were the color. I was just sprinkling with what was actually happening. <laughs> <laughs> and we're sort of yo-yoing a bit. I want to bring it back to when you were writing for Burton, because yep. um, Jay and Rolly both talk about it in their episodes, was the uh, Burton versus Forum Tour in New Zealand. <laughs> yep. Which um, yep. Was, uh, it was based on Thrash's King of the Road. It was awesome. It was a pretty cool thing. It was smart as well because strategically Higher Ground got to put both their teams in it to lock in all the media. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. But like two brands that looked so opposing to each other at the time. Yep, the joys of bigger business. Um, Yeah, it was was probably one of the funniest... The the humour in it for me was I'd forgotten how competitive I was. Yeah. And all of a sudden, as soon as something's see competition, I just go flipping. I just go hard, right? Mm. So you got me, who's a stubborn, driven, competitive prick. You've got Browner, who's a straight boss. Mm. And you got like Connor Harding, who's that's like so. So you got like Young Buck on the come up. That's flipping. Got styles for days. You've got flipping Browner, who's just captain send it. And there's there's me, like kind of me. I was I was a right like I don't think I was. I don't feel I was pro at that point. Mm. Although I did call some cool shit. And then on the other side, you got flipping Broly in there. And yeah, it just... Got, so, straight away this competition, it starts just getting a bit dicey, right? Mm. We so got, we got Jay Smith. The other side was Rowley, Liam... Uh, yeah, and then Rene Riberton. Right, yeah, cool. So you kind of got, like, just two different crews, two different vibes, two different things. And then... Uh, but we're savages. We're like, we're stuffing these Muppets up. Like, day one, it's just straight battle. Like... I'm going to flip and get some, like, fish grease and put it inside your aircon. I'm going to just, everything just was stuffed, right? And eventually, we almost destroyed one of the campers because, you know, the priest said in one of the podcasts, we flipping, we knew, knew where they had their camper, jacked it up, stole their wheel, chucked it out in the flipping lake. But what we didn't realize is the weight of the front had started to sink into the the uh, the ground, the tar seal, and we could only get the thing on just by about a miller because if we didn't, the whole thing would fall down and destroy the camper. <laughs> so, like, it was real sketchy but real close. Um, we smoked them, stuffed them, we won, and then we're on to the next. <laughs> but it was like, I'm very casual, but at the same time when I flip, I just go stupidly competitive. Mm. And uh, was there some moments that stick out on that one? Like, I remember seeing the picture of the six-person front board, which was... Probably one of the dopest things ever. Pretty rad. Yep. Probably yeah. one of the coolest things ever. Just 
it's iconic it was there it was something different that hadn't been done we all did it it was a unit the the unification of it. as much shit as we gave each other everyone's crew right mm. you know um lpa was a champ R- roly i obviously respected renee was on the come up uh yeah and it's just a bit of an iconic photo you know um mm. i sometimes now see photos and stuff that people have taken and i still don't believe it was me it'd be yeah. like stuff in france i did like this quad kink in france which almost died on it's like kink 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 the shit over in whistler which johnny mac shot which i couldn't believe i've done you know you do these things and it's not till years later you look back and be like holy shit that was crazy yeah and now i look at that i'm like holy shit that was crazy rad yeah yeah i mean going back to that six person front board i mean shit front boarding that stair set at snow park on its own is kind of dicey let alone relying on the guy in front of you to well everyone's everyone doing it we were just in the zone of like we all trust each other we all know what we're doing how many attempts was it three really i think we got the first we got at the no we got at the second pop because i think browner came off early on his front board the first one and then on the second one he went a bit too in the middle but he wanted to like lock it and then we got the we got it was like third try wow it was done like 10 minutes that's yeah, it was crazy. That's gnarly. Fuck. <laughs> and was there any other moments that stick out? Like Jay and Maddie and those dudes? Or? I think with them is the fact, you know, you look at... I got to meet Jake Burton. I got to hang mm. out with him. Yeah. Not many people can say that. Yeah. I was in... I was in rooms with him. I got to... Like, obviously not as much as, you know, Jay Alty or whatever, but, you know, I got to sit down and have an interview with Jake. I got to... So it up to Donna. I was presenting. I was emceeing the, the the open the whole time where they were there. I got to, like, I was physically close. Not in the inner circle at all. I'm not saying mm. that, but I was in the game mm. when the Dons were running shit. Yep. When Guy Alty was running Burden New Zealand and Jake Burden was running Burden Australia, like, and I was in it. It's like you know what, I, I always I always think of these these moments for it, and I'm very very honoured mm. that I got to be there. So I'd love to have met Jay. Like, yep. Yeah, you know, just uh, this is a guy that helped invent this thing that I do, even though I don't that gave me everything brand of boards anymore. Yep. It's like it would have been cool to actually be like, oh, thanks, man. Yep. You know. Yep. And I felt that before I even met him. Yeah. Because you got to understand, I was a young buck on the come up, but this guy had created this world, which m- gave me my whole world. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Because yeah. mine was my strategy was get in blow up get out so mm. i got in blew up used my money to start businesses built a, built a, a content creative agency which i exited to sachi and sachi big agency built a network of shared co-work spaces so did that and the one you exited to sachi and sachi is that the airtime and stuff front side yeah front, front side, side. Yeah. wow yeah so i exited to them mm. and then um been off the grid for four years doing the whānau thing and a bunch of other stuff in america and new zealand and all mm. sorts of so you're based in uh, San Francisco these days. Yep. And you still get up to play in the snow, but do we got a family's got a house in San in uh, in South Lake. Yeah. Uh, now I've got two, two doors, three and four. Cool. Um, my whole goal was to be a present father after I found out was got wife was pregnant with number two, so I sort of just cleared the deck commercially. Um, other ventures and bits and pieces now, but you know, stealth whatever, and then just been I want to be a present father. Mm. I did like every night feed breakfast lunches dinners mm-hmm. walks how old are the girls three and four rad yeah so it's pretty just different mm. uh, as i said man like you know before before kids i wanted to become a billionaire and own the oakland raiders to buy win some super bowls 
and now I'm really content and happy with where we're at. Was I've got I, options? Was uh, that part of the reason behind San Fran? Oh, no, no, wifey's wifey's family's from San Francisco. Yep. We got we came we came to New Zealand for uh, winter states for baby number one. Came back to Auckland, winter states for baby number two. COVID, here we are. Hmm. Did my green card. Finally can start moving. Flew back last week. Playing catch up with a few commercial things up in Auckland. My one day off. Here I am. Hmm. And then back out tomorrow. Ah, oh, cool. And can we talk? You published a book a year or two ago. Yeah. Is that something we can talk about? Yeah, for sure. So I was very aware as a young Māori in business, not many people have been to the spaces I've been now commercially outside of snowboarding. Half the people I meet now don't even know I snowboarded, right? You have to Google yeah. it or whatever. And I'm cool with that. Um, but I felt it was very important for me to use the moment I had to create some type of movement. So I'm you know, very passionate about tall poppy syndrome and bits and pieces. And essentially after I exited my uh, ventures, I... Um, did a big tour north to south with Mel Simmons actually who ended up um, being my right hand for um, a few years and we basically went to a whole bunch of low decile schools and talking to young kids and sort of really trying to inspire them to think a little bit bigger because if you know some hood dude from Maranui can get out and do a bunch of shit anything's probably right. possible and, and that so we turned did, into a book so yeah so we did, wow. a, I did a free book it's called Power Moves and can um, you still get it now? Yeah, it's a free book. You can just go into uh, rebet.com and it's just look under story. It's free. And we did it free for like 800,000 New Zealand students. Wow. Um, and it's pretty cool to just have like a story. It's not like, hey, this is how to become a tribillionaire. It's going, yo, I was on the benefit and now I'm in the boardroom. I sit on boards. I do big kind of cool shit now commercially. But I felt high school. Dad passed away. All challenges. Sport gave me the escape. Everything, right? Mm. Um, and it's, I don't talk about my personal life much. as some of the most I've probably talked about. But I feel I owe it to the sport to be able to do the same thing. So mm. um, snowboarding gave me everything with, with transferred across. And I'm, I'm very proud of um, my journey today. As much as it goes ups and downs and bits and pieces, it would not. Mm. I would not be here without snowboarding. And you mentioned Mel. How is Mel? Awesome. She's down. I'm seeing her for breakfast tomorrow morning. Actually, I haven't. Um, when you see her, can you tell her to come on this podcast? Oh, she'd please? be awesome. She like she's uh, absolutely she, incredible. She's on. She's on the list of people I'd love to have. She's on. got some stories. She's one of the most loving, awesome humans. I've been stoked to get get uh, get close to me um, over the years. She came back from Europe. We had it helped me with a whole bunch of stuff. And she was essentially my right hand for a couple of years, doing awesome. And now she's smashing it in the in the in the media and film world again, once again, which is cool. And she's down here now, so it's great. Right, because she was a full on, um, fully qualified judge and shit too, mm-hmm. eh? Like all the way through pretty much the Olympics, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and I didn't realize. I think it was Dix talks about it in his episode. Like she was part of the OG Remarks Park crew and shit yep. that helped then, blow Remarks Parks up and judging and everything. Yeah, so, no, it's, it's it's been a ride. Mel, um, if you haven't been on by the time this comes out, please come on. It's so <laughs> cool to have you on. Um, are you still following snowboarding today much? Yep. Nowhere near as I used to because I'm finding it's getting a little too unrelatable for my old fat ass. <laughs> but enough where I'm seeing things and just getting stoked on. Like I look for energy, not execution. I, I, like if I see a quadruple cork, I'm like, that's rad, but I can't really relate to it. Mm. I want to see like... I get more stoked of um, seeing things that I can relate to where it looks about the joy of what it does. Because mm. I don't feel like a triple cork for me feels fun. Mm. I appreciate it. I respect it. I just know when hell I can do it. It's like as soon as I have to pull the calculator out, I lose interest. Eh? Well, and it becomes, you know, you, you um, when you're in it and you want to do that to get pro and all that, it's like, I get that. 
But now when I'm looking at it, I'm not looking for inspiration from a flipping six, switchback 1620 triple. I'm looking for inspiration like, holy shit, that looks like an awesome little hip and pocket little gully. Oh man, that, that shifty looks rad on that. Dude, that little front board pop-up looks cool. I'm, I'm looking for little moments of awesomeness, which I can relate to. That's, mm. where, that's where I'm at. So is there any riders um, currently that have got your attention or anything? No. <laughs> I know it's crazy I just I, like everyone's doing their own thing and that's cool when I see good things pop up like I'll love a little side hit thing where someone's just doing a massive pop or or seeing a, a cool little tweak I'm I'm not oh my gosh it's the greatest right remember I mean I saw um some of Scotty Stevens Instagrams the other day and I love that he's still embracing fun mm. mine was fun yeah you know if you can keep smiling and doing cool fun mm. shit I think you'll always be okay yeah cool and do you have any advice for aspiring shredders yep I've seen too many great snowboarders not get what they deserve because they weren't strategic enough early enough right they get caught up in the hoopla and the byproduct of all this cool shit of let's get some money and some girls and some parties and some blah and it's like cool that's the sprinkles Mm. that's not the thing like dutchy love the process i love the process we love the thing will j loves the thing the byproduct is the dangerous stuff people chase the byproducts they don't chase the thing mm. the thing was the love and the pure joy that this thing got you the love that when you strap up that you feel joy to go and do mm. people people you don't have longevity when you're thinking about the byproducts you have longevity when you're strategic about that so i would reverse engineer the outcome you actually want fast forward in five years ahead and i'll start to make moves to allocate energy in that direction right and what's the best piece of advice you've ever received my mum when i was 11 if you don't stand for something you'll fall for anything that's some damn good advice right and there. i've caught it real big and so now regardless what i do it's like what do i stand for in this situation you know yeah. if we talk really business anything and that's good but i i have to figure out what i stand for you know I started nzsnowboard.com because I was standing for a place where snowboard money was going to support snowboarders. Hmm. Everything I've done has always been, there's always been a, what am I standing for with this? Hmm. And that's been important for me. Sweet. Is there anything else on your side of the thing? Man, we we did it pretty good, man. Cool. So we, we, can... we did it really good. I'm really, I'm, I'm super stoked with... Cool. So you're happy to roll into the end of the Totally. Cool. I don't want this cut mtn is perfect this okay. has actually been amazing right. cool. because this is actually what happened mm. i mean is there, if there's anything else or any trips we should talk about i'm all good we don't we could talk about um because again like i said there was my notes i was stabbing no in the dark, so. you're fine um there were some deros in the car driving from utah to california with a bunch of drugs in it and we got pulled over for a speeding ticket from and a cop made me go to pay the fine off right there as he followed us without searching the vehicle if we did we were stuffed and then when i paid the fine off they gave us a gun lock and then we drove off with the drug still in the car because the flipping dero still had it in their backpack Jesus <laughs> so that's one what's, what's a gun lock like a gun lock so they give it so i paid the thing and they gave me a lock to be able to put inside the gun it was crazy and then right. when i was i was hustling the same time a similar time and i had um i knew poker was going to blow up in new zealand so i bought I had third party logistics set up to a manufacturer in China and I was buying them for $11.50 a pop and selling them for 140 with free shipping. 
and I was making the arbitrage on the wholesale retail play with a third party logistics already set up and it was all automated through TradeMe. So I just get an email, I was just making like three, 400 bucks in a day and I was snowboarding professionally and I was half around the world, not even touching it. So I was just like, I was crushing <laughs> shit. But no, all good, man. It's all, all, mm. all part of the gig. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. Cool. I'll follow, roll into our end just then. Um, there's no time limit. Cool. Talk about each thing as much as you want. Favourite rider? Rider? Hmm. I know this is going to be an interesting one from um, what he's been saying previously. Gun to your head. You have to pick one favourite rider. I love snowboarding with Leroy Christensen. I loved snowboarding with that dude. Hmm. Like, I had joy snowboarding with him. So. So, it's energy. Yeah. Or Jody Blatchley. Ah, oh, yeah. How good were his rodeos? So, it's never the yeah. rider who does the gnarliest shit. For me, it was who who increased my energy and who was I inspired to be around. Yeah. So, I know it's probably not what people expect, but I'd say, like, Leroy Christensen. Or thing. In, in person, one of the most impressive people was Mikhail Bang that I've ever mm. snowboarded with. Mm. Ben was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, probably those two. Oh. Favourite mountain? Uh, Mount Hutt, because at the start-up, so my heart's at Mount Hutt, my soul was at Snow Park, and then the shred was at Cardi's. Sick. Favourite board? Good one. Uh, the best board I ever rode for actual performance was a 159 Burden Custom X who Zephyr Lovelock's dad, Kelly Lovelock, borrowed off me five years ago and hasn't given it back yet, piece <laughs> of shit. Um, and, fun yeah. bo- uh, and the fun one would be um, my hooger booger. Yeah, yeah. My pink hooger booger, which I've, which I've <laughs> rode for years, is fun. Mm. Those two. Cool. Favourite video part? I didn't have a video part. I had a feeling of true life. So, watching True Life in Japan on repeat twenty times a day gave me all the energy I needed to go for the future. And is it Lucas Huffman's part in Shakedown? He does a front seven first pop off the corners, throws the board off the, and he does one. It might be one, but that I remember that one shot. But everyone's had different pockets and crazy shit, you know. But um, uh, and I think part wise. Travis Rice says that's that that's all at the premiere when we were in the room with Travis watching everyone in Wanaka about Wanaka when everyone's wasted on Red Bull and Vodkas that was pretty fucking awesome <laughs> yeah 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 I mean that was pretty rad when he was around like Belzy tells a story in his one about when Travis shouted the whole bar in Red Rock that was shot. after that yeah after that they went up and did it it's crazy yeah and then Guy's story about him losing an eyebrow is even better <laughs> <laughs> Favourite gig? Um, 2008, Burden Open, Shapeshifter. Sick. The top yeah. balcony, I think Galti talked about it, was probably 400 people over limit capacity, and I'd been emceeing with, with Diggs the whole thing. That was awesome. Um, I went to Eminem J. Cole event, left my wife on our anniversary to go to that. That was worth it. I had to borrow a bag, but it was worth it and then uh, Snow Park Lupe Fiasco Sweet. and then PNC and the, and the MTV parties that were up there oh cool favourite city my soul sits in Wanaka 
my heart and soul as well in Aranui Christchurch. San Fran's rad. And Tahoe also holds a big piece. Favourite trick? Favourite trick? I would say... It's weird, you've asked the same question and I actually... You know, I had a... It wasn't a trick, it was a moment. We had this thing called that. And that was when you'd hit a little roller and you'd pop and it was the weightlessness right at the top of the ollie and it was a split second of pure joy but no grab mm. it was this, it was this little moment when you can get that and it was your whole body was sync and then motion freeze that was the part so it wasn't a trick it was a feeling mm. favorite board graphic um Solomon, it was Solomon 154 Scotty Arnold and it had a balaclava on him that was like black and green and then there was also um, that was probably the, that was probably it it was a, a Scotty Arnold 154 who has the best method I've also heard you talk about this and everyone says basically Will J Terrier. Will J has a banger but I've got two I want to add into the mix and I think are just as big contenders Chris Blinkhorn. Yeah. And Christy Pryor. Yeah. Christy Pryor's method, I think, shits on 99.9% .9 of every single other human that's ever snowboarded in the world. Mm. Christy Pryor had an absolute banger of a method. I still got it. And, like, uh, so yeah. I'd, I'd say Christy and Will. Mm. If I was backcountry, Will. If I was anything else, probably Christy. Mm. That's some damn good methods right there. And final bonus question. Yes. What's the key to a good method? Well, I can't do them bloody good. Although I have got one photo. I did one once. But I actually got a trip tip from, I think Rolly was talking about, like coming from your heels onto your toes a little bit to go forward. That makes total sense. Um, this is the one ninja move I learned when I was shooting with Blotto. Unstrap your, uh, your, your binding. Oh. So you get more angle inclination. So you can full get the tweak from the front, front angle, front, uh, going over all right oh cool well that's us then uh, for, uh, got we're, any we're three hours deep and this has been deep. a thing <laughs> I will never do this again with anyone else and I'm so glad I'm very with flattered. you <laughs> thank you so much for your time Robbie and we'll see you when we see you next this has been 20 years in the making and I'm really glad I've done it I think what you're creating and has created you gave me escapism halfway around the world that I would literally come halfway around the world back to here to come here to be here to do this. <laughs> so um, it's important. Your book thing can be awesome. Tim Pierce will do a flipping doco and we'll be off to the flipping races. <laughs> cool. Well, over and out from the Side Hat Podcast. Let's go.